Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. And welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. Keep having these very fun dates on the days that I'm hosting. And you are listening to episode 552. I will be your host this week. I am Joey Buccino. And joining me is Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy almost birthday, Joey. I know. It is tomorrow. Batman. Batman 30. 30. 33? 33, I think. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um... Aaron Amos is here. I'm back in nerdified air. I love that. That's right. That's right. Welcome. John Burkle is here. As always, consistent. I'm watching him. I'm watching him this week. I feel attacked. Got a few things that if he says the wrong thing, I might disappear later in the show. Yeah. I'm going to cut him right out if he says the wrong thing on some of these things coming up. And also joining this week, friend of the pod, Carolyn Coca. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. You and I uh, are on the show often together, now that I think about it. Uh, it's in my contract. I'm only on mm-hmm. when you are. Oh. Yes. And when Steve isn't. But <laughs> <laughs> hmm. that's something that we'll talk about another day. Later. Later. Yeah. <laughs> later. Later. So many things to talk about. Steve, as you heard last week on the podcast, is uh, rocking out today on our recording day. He will be back next week, uh, perhaps with some other special guests. Uh, We have a ton to talk about today, a little bit of news, tons of comics, a few listener questions. I did want to start, though, with um, two things that were very dear to my heart, one of which y'all mentioned last week on the podcast, but you wanted to save for when I was here, and that was the Jurassic World dinosaur movie. Uh, Jurassic World no colon Dominion. This was, I don't know why there was no anything there. I had to cut out. Uh, the, latest, the latest Jurassic Park film. Uh, and leading up to it, I did watch all of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies. Wow. I love the first three. I think mm-hmm. they're wonderful. Even the third one, I know, much maligned. But the Joe Johnson, yeah. I, I do love that one as a little kind of episode in it. There is, a, in my opinion, significant fall off. When you introduce Chris Pratt to the mix. No, I'm just kidding. When uh, when <laughs> Jurassic World starts. Um, I, I did like Fallen Kingdom. So I went into Dominion excited, eager to see how it would go. Uh, that movie, Jurassic World Dominion, for me, was... I'm not going to say good, because it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the dinosaurs looked good and it was fun seeing the cast again, the original cast again. The movie for me was just a, a very meh experience. Um, the plot, totally unnecessary for all of its marketing as the end of an era did not feel final in any kind of real means. Um, 
but I mean, I don't know if anybody else had any other opinions on it. It was it, after the after the thirty five year wait for Top Gun Maverick and like the payoff of the excitement of that, and then the Jurassic World Dominion just total fizzle in my hands. Uh, that that was a real that was the downer for me. But I don't know yeah. who else was able to catch that. I, movie? I look for me too long disjointed in the storytelling and when you compare the new cast with those the originals it's a problem too dark maybe some of the cgi doesn't work as well as it should have you got another female MacGuffin. i don't like that very much even at two hours 20 or whatever i had a good time so meh it's about right joey yeah yeah it's meh meh john did you see it no Nice. We've uh, Aaron, yeah. No, my son wants to, but I've been putting it off. So, nope. You know, wait I will till say, it's streaming on yeah. nothing. Actually, or see it at the bargain theater the way I did. We each, don't have bargain each, theaters here. Oh, each each one that's been released, I've been less and less excited. The first one, I, <clears throat> I was very excited about, and then the next one came out, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to muster up a little bit of excitement. And then this one came around, I'm like, I can't be bothered. Every time I see Chris Pratt put his hand Law up at the dinosaur, oh yeah, it's it's something oh, yeah. something about that. It's like, you know, we all, you know, jumped on the Chris Pratt train when he had that twofer with Jurassic Park and Guardians of the Galaxy, and we were like, yay! But literally in the last ten years, that's the only thing he's done. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Jurassic Park that I can remember. Now I, I caught him in something the other night. I was watching stuff. Out of nowhere, Jennifer's Body, the Diablo Cody movie. Yeah, he's in that. Forgot about. No that. way. He's a really creepy. He's the police academy oh, guy. Who's the cop? Who, yes. who, who IDs her in the bar? Yeah, that's yes. Chris Pratt. Yes, yes. <laughs> here's a, here's what I'll say about this movie too. The director Trevorrow is that his name? Sure. You know, Colin Trevorrow. Yeah. Having watched all of the movies again, I'll just say that right Spielberg to to Joe Johnson to Trevorrow for the last three. Colin Trevorrow's movies are much more interested in the writing and plotting for CGI and animatronic dinosaurs <laughs> than the writing and plotting and characterization for human Who are the people? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Very underdeveloped there. I think Bryce Dallas Howard, who I think her stock for me has really grown over the last few years. I, I really, really like her work, especially with the directing that she's done with the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think she, she does a lot of work in these, in the, in the second uh, trilogy. Um, but Aaron, to your point, like Pratt, Chris Pratt is like a cardboard cutout of himself. Yeah. Progressively more so as these movies go on. Um, yeah. And he just puts his hand up, you know, he just puts his hand up, puts his hand up, puts his hand up. That's like his one thing. Yeah. Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern, I think are, are fantastic. I will say this about Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum in the lost world is like borderline action star. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing his yeah. Jeff Goldblum thing. He's running around in those like leather boots. Like he's doing it. Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic world dominion is doing a bad Jeff Goldblum impression. Oh, no. And I'm, I'm not convinced. Well, rather I am convinced that Trevor, was just like, Jeff, just do your thing. Be Jeff. <laughs> and, be Jeff. For, be Jeff. Yeah. And I was like, 
no, 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 no. Ian Malcolm has gone on a journey, <laughs> and we need to see it yeah. here. So I, I was bummed by that. I, I, I was really bummed. I think Samuel's great. I really, I love him and everything. Hunt for the World of People too. If you haven't seen that, he's really fantastic. And and seeing Laura Dern too is wonderful. The three of them though do feel like in this movie under this director's hands and in with this script do feel like, you know, carbon copies of the kind of rich characters that they it's were. Fan, it's complete fan service. 100%. Yeah. And they got some stuff to do, but it, it, the, the story in this movie doesn't warrant anything, really. And no, the no. bummer, and it's almost like, you know, a, a lot of the kind of commentary I saw after the film was like, wow, we really thought Trevor Rowe was going to like do episode nine star Wars, you know, and like really like deliver this amazing thing when he couldn't even land the plane for this trilogy that he's been handed here. Um, And it's funny because a lot of the flaws that I think that people are seeing in dominion are the flaws that we saw when Abrams took over episode nine, right? Like a a Mm storyline, a storyline that departs from what's been developed so far, the kind of reintroduction of characters simply for the sake of fan service plot lines that depart from kind of themes of the, of the, of the films thus far. So it's very interesting to that, that kind of parallel there. Um, I will say watching all of the movies in succession, the Jurassic park franchise is wonderful. Dinosaurs are just freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, like it's just dinosaurs and I love it. The first trilogy of course is stunning. Um, the, the parts of the movies that are about family, which is really what the whole cestology, I don't know what's that's good. That works. Probably that actually says, yeah. Um, is all about, I think is, is about family and parenthood. And when the movies are about that, it's really good. Which includes Uh, the dinosaurs being family. Which includes the dinosaurs, which is why actually the second Jurassic World movie, I think, is actually the best of those three because it's Mm -hmm. it's very much in line with that. But anyway, Aaron, you're back on the show. You ready? All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. We ready? Yeah. All right. Thoughts on thoughts on Black Adam, Aaron? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he can suck it. I just, I st- I'm sorry. The whole time I was listening to the previous episodes and Joey was like ranting about it, I'm like, I hear you. I was like, sing it, sister. I hear you. I was like, I cannot That's understand. Why they talked about it on the show last week and I was like, I'm not there. I'm not there. Nope. I'm not there to be like, what is this? I don't care. I was looking at that, that previous, I was like, I want to see everything except for the scenes with him in it. And all I see is The Rock. <laughs> That's all I see is the rock flying through the air. Don't get okay. You're getting me distracted. You're getting, yeah, yeah. You triggered me with the black eyes. Anyway, sorry. all right, here we go. I got my lightning. So, hey everyone, I'm back. Um, so, first book I'm going to talk about is Teen Justice Number One. Ivan Cohen, Danny Lohr, Robbie Rodriguez, Marco Fela, and Erica Aaron Angiolini. I think I think I said that right. Um, so essentially, you may remember from some of the future state books these characters. Uh, they tiptoe through. Uh, some of them tiptoe through some of the stories there, um, and so we find ourselves back again with this group, Teen Justice. Similar scenario to what you're probably thinking of with the name, Kid Quick. Uh, I think it's Jesse Quick's nephew, Robin, Troy. You can figure out where that's coming from. Clarion, Aqua Girl, Supergirl, and Raven. And what I love about this, couple of things. Um, all gender bent uh, or non-binary. Um, 
all young and fun and sort of, I don't know, even though we we didn't grow up with these characters the way we did the others, I felt completely familiar with them and completely, you know, accepting of them. Um, so the, the, the book kind of starts off just giving you that introduction, similar to the way if you watch any of the Young Justice uh, series, they give you that big opening scene that sort of sets the stage for who everyone is, what their powers are, what their relationship is, etc. Um, and it gives you a good relationship structure. As the book goes on, it definitely begins to show that there are still some areas of growth necessary for them to be a, a real team. Uh, you begin to see some of the relationship dynamics, if you want to call it that, between Supergirl and Robin. Um, and you see a couple of things that look familiar if you watch any of the Teen Titans show, if you read any of the Teen Titans historical uh, books. We got some Sister Blood stuff. We got some Hive stuff. It was just fun, fun, fun. And I really, I just enjoyed it. I, I was getting some of those Young Justice vibes that I missed so much. So I'm definitely going to keep checking that out and see where that goes. The next book, Blood Syndicate number two, Jeffrey Thorne, Dexter Soy, excuse me, Dexter Soy, a bunch of people who did covers, Chris Cross, Juan Castro, and Will Quintana. So this kind of picks up where a little bit after the, the last issue, uh, Tech Nine, having just survived his little drive-by scenario, his little welcome back to the neighborhood, um, is on the run, decides to go back home, uh, essentially to make up for a relationship strain with his dad. We get a little bit of history of what happened to him while he was in uh, the war, uh, sorry, in the military, uh, fighting over, uh, overseas. Uh, we get to see that his relationship with his dad isn't what he had hoped it would be, that it didn't him going into the military didn't exactly earn him respect, but kind of the exact opposite. Um, and he finds himself back out on the streets trying to figure out what's next and what's thrown right in his face is the life that he had left. Uh, and it becomes clear through the exposition of other characters that there were skid marks left on the streets when he rolled out of that town. So uh, he's got to figure out what's going on. It's made clear to him very quickly that he's got to pick a side again. He's back here in the neighborhood. You may have left for a while, but you got to pick a side now. However, there's someone in town who's basically saying there is no side. There's just my side. And that's Holocaust, who's continuing to make his presence known and setting examples for anyone who uh, is not aware just yet. So this book was interesting as I was reading it because I felt as though I was reading it from the perspective of an insider, not someone who's read the, the previous uh, iteration of it, the previous version of it but someone who understands the context of what these writers were saying in a way that maybe others didn't. Um, there are certain things that I feel like maybe hit me a little bit differently than may hit, you know, random guy in, you know, Oklahoma somewhere who doesn't know the background. Um, and it made me wonder if maybe some of the, the dialogue was a little too inside baseball. I'm not complaining. Um, I absolutely love it because it does, you know, feel even more relatable to me, a person of color, than some of the other books um, in that in that sense. Um, the relationship with your neighborhood, the relationship, how that relationship changes when you leave for something better and come back, how people perceive you for that. The relationships with your parents and, you know, always wanting that sort of approval and trying to figure out the things that, you know, triggers those relationships. Just a variety of things, friends, friendships. All of those things um, sort of hit differently if you experience them a different way. So I'm definitely going to continue to watch how this book grows and how it sort of takes that experience and translates it to a story. Um, but I do wonder if maybe some people reading it may not get some of the some of the inside stuff. Anyway, uh, last thing, and this may be a longer conversation because I'm going to look for the uh, some some support here in this one. Young Justice season four. So. I really, really wanted to talk about this show 
for a variety of reasons. Number one, I had seen a lot of writing about uh, people, you know, the bros complaining about uh, so much gay stuff going on uh, in the show and how this, they ruin characters. And then you get the same thing from the you know, Superboy and the same thing from Tim Drake and all that stuff. And one of the responses, I wish I could remember exactly who said it, but one of the responses was, the objective here is not to make this, not to make the LGBTQ content the story, but rather a fabric of the story so that it doesn't seem like it's taking center stage. It just is. And as I'm watching episode after episode after episode of this, you may remember me mentioning this earlier on, they have actually done a really good job of incorporating a diversity of lifestyles and a diversity of relationship styles into the show without it becoming the main story. Um, we had, st we still got our bang, boom, action scenes, all the superhero stuff you want. But we got someone dealing with PTSD. We got someone dealing with their gender identity. We got people dealing with their sexual orientation, their, the choices they were making around that. We got people dealing with all sorts of uh, love, former, future, all sorts of things. Just it, it was just part of the fabric of the show. It wasn't the, you know, episode 22 was going to be all about so-and-so being non-binary. Um, it was just, oh, so-and-so's non-binary. Oh, look, there's an alien coming. Let's fight them. You know, so it was really just, I, I think this show for me, um, still got some places to, to grow, but I think it is leaps and bounds ahead of other story, other shows of this magnitude that shows representation well. Some people felt like it was heavy-handed. I feel like in this age, we have to be heavy-handed. Otherwise, we won't get seen. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the fact that these characters grew. So there were two parts of the this show, that this whole season. Part of it was Miss Martian. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. Part of it was Miss Martian and Superboy getting married. And then the second part of it was dealing with the aftermath of that attempt um, and how it impacted others. Um, and then there was a lot of timey-wimey stuff in there. And I just think it was – I enjoyed – Almost every episode, Carolyn knows why I'm saying almost. Um, but, you know, there, there was just a lot to see here. And I literally may go back and watch this again because I feel like even watching this whole season, I missed some things. Um, but I, can't, I cannot recommend this show enough uh, for people who want to see how it can be done without it taking center stage, but rather but still being seen and represented. So that is my lightning round and thunderstorm and all that stuff after that. So. Uh, okay. Before Carolyn goes off on <laughs> the show, um, I just want to say, did you say Dexter Soy on that um, book, that the second book you yes. talked about? Let's end again. Anytime Dexter Soy's name comes up, I'm like, what's Dexter Soy been up to? <laughs> I just remember from Captain Marvel. I'm like, where's he gone? So anyway, anyway, Carolyn, after you. <laughs> uh, it's not not so much a, a go off as um, I'm in agreement. I think that what uh bros might see as um <laughs> you know too much gay stuff is just um normalized visibility i mean that that's really what i think they were doing a good job of you know you and and this is a show where 
this season, especially kind of a real central arc was the Miss Martian Superboy romance, mm-hmm. right? Which they probably people who are complaining, I'm saying, probably just sort of take for granted, right? And don't think is, you know, too much heterosexuality or something like that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that the, the the way that they did it where plot points weren't belabored, where people weren't, you know, super struggling for episodes on end about their sexuality or something like that, but maybe you see someone talking about it or maybe you just see these two people holding hands when they had just given each other a couple of looks before or you realize that, when they're showing these two people and one of them is pregnant, oh, now here comes a third person who's in their relationship. There's three I of them and it. they all seem happy. And it was I just totally that. normalized. Think, yeah. And nobody said anything. And everyone was just like, oh, hey, you're here too. Hey, you know, like when the person comes yeah. in the door. So I think that, you know, I, it's, I understand that there, there is a place too for telling the coming out story. And that is a struggle that goes on, um, that keeps going on, unfortunately, for a lot of people. And it's important for people to be able to see that. But it's just as important to see that, um, you know, having people with different genders, different sexualities, different identities just sort of in your life, um, you know, is not terribly disruptive. People just are and just let people be and let people be happy. And maybe we'll all do better. I think what I loved was, and you just really made me think about it, Karen, no one was perceived as being broken. Right, right. No one was lonely or, or you know, lamenting or wanting to change or questioning if they were normal. It's just, I mean, you have one person sort of like, hmm, am I interested in this person? Like for a minute. Yes. But it wasn't a long drawn out thing. Yeah. It, it, it literally, there wasn't this, oh my God, this is horrible. This person is going to be against me. It was sort of like a healthy way of assessing what you are feeling and having the fortitude to simply say, well, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I feel. I'm going to figure this out. You know, and, and, and knowing, and yeah, and knowing that our usual suspects are all going to be supportive and, you mm-hmm. know, not be critical, just be there. Maybe not even say anything about it but just sort of nod and go on mm-hmm. i did really like at first it was annoying me but i really did grow to like the the ptsd storyline because i felt like here's why i felt like it was more realistic I, I felt like um i it wouldn't have landed if it had been resolved in a single episode no but watching it episode after episode got tiresome tired. yes it was and that's tired. exactly why they did it right because that's how his friends would have felt, right? Mm-hmm. They couldn't help him. They were trying. They just saw him. He needed to take some, they needed to help, but he needed to take some initiative as well. And, and what I also liked was that when things came to a head and there was resolution, all the pieces didn't fall back into place. There were consequences. Yes. You did this, you behaved this way and- I had to make a choice and now we can't be in each other's lives like that anymore. Um, Yes, that was good too. And also just to clarify, you know, this person who had the storyline about post-traumatic stress, this was an absolutely earned storyline. This wasn't a looking at you, Tom King, taking (laughs) a storyline about post-traumatic stress and just putting it on every character that you're writing about. And they did it well. 
Yeah, they did it well. It's called projecting. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to interrupt, but they did it well because they were able to call back. It wasn't just a reaction to something that happened this season, but they actually called back Mm -hmm. to all the seasons and showed things piling up. It was cumulative, yeah. Yes, you know, over time, and it was, well, I guess that is what cumulative means, isn't it? Um, I, hear myself, I hear myself sometimes. I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think that was, whether that was planned or something that was opportunistic, I think they, they really sow those seeds really well. So I, again, can't, can't recommend it more. Yep. Two thumbs up for Young Justice. Yep. Awesome. There's a lot of good TV out there right now. <laughs> Mm. Check it out. I'll catch up. Maybe this will be the summer. I'll catch up. Is, is it all on HBO Max? Yes. Yeah. All of Sweet. them. All Including season. the latest season? Yeah. yeah. All season. Awesome. Yeah. Right, I was cool. going to write, I was I was trying to figure, I said to Carolyn, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out a critical path for Joey, but I feel like you can't, you can't miss an I'm episode. Just stop. It's not like, it's not like 20 episodes a season. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Really oh, nice. yeah. But they're, but they're, 20, they they're 20 minutes though. Do I, oh, okay. Yeah, that's manageable. Do we need to watch the original first two, or can we jump on the last two with HBO Max? You can. Well, you'll they're be all able out to there. Figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're all out there, but you'll be able to figure it out. You, you, the, it, the, the team from the beginning, the first season, is not. It's so much more evolved because what they do well is they do age them. They're, you know, they're they they age them like the Robin in the first season is what like what is he thirteen. Oh yeah, he's a little. And the, did the creative team change? And the Robin in this season is like twenty-one. And they um, even show you that in the opening credits. Yeah. You know, it sort of the opens age. and it's like Robin, and then it says Nightwing, and it sort of yeah. he, his, mm. the image of him changes. Yeah. It's did like the writers they, they, change? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because I'm trying to figure out why it would evolve so much. Well, each season. Well, no, it's no, good. No, no, no. They do it naturally. It's, it's, it's purposeful. They literally even okay. the first to second season is a five-year gap. Oh, okay. Then the cool. second, the next season is another few years, and then it's yeah. These they they age them naturally. Awesome. So you get to see them grow up, and then that also brings in new characters. So Robin's age. So Tim Drake is in some of the episodes, mm-hmm. and you know, and and then you kind of see uh, what's his face, um, Jason. But I'm not going to spoil that. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, there's stuff All happening. Right. Sounds like a party. Get on it. All right, John, you ready? Yeah, I was born ready, Joey. Oh, oh, you gonna go to the danger zone? I'm on the highway (laughs) to the danger zone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Batman Annual 2022. So this is Ed Brisson and John Timms with Rex Locus on colors and Clayton Cowles on letters. It's labeled as a Batman annual, but this is really a Ghostmaker and Batman Incorporated story. Uh, we all know that that Batman's broke now. Uh, you know, he's he's a millionaire, not a billionaire, uh, and so without his limited unlimited funds, uh, he has turned over the running of Batman Incorporated to Ghostmaker, who we learned uh, throughout the James Tynan run uh, was on the same path as Batman. They studied under a lot of the same instructors, but they diverged in how they uh, cleaned up towns and they, they reconnected and it's been a really fun reconnection. I've really liked the addition of ghost maker to the Batman mythos. Um, but ghost maker is a very heavy handed uh, 
running, or uh, I guess he's the CEO of Batman Incorporated. Uh, he quickly reorganizes the team into local heroes and the international heroes, the ones who will go on the missions, and the other ones who are just barely qualified to take care of their hometowns. Um, the interna- international team quickly travels to Chechnya to investigate the remnants of a Lex Luthor experiment gone wrong and shenanigans uh, occur and there's some great scenes it's, it's just this is exactly what i want in an annual it's fun story it's self-contained ed brisson is a great writer i've been missing john timms on super uh superman son of cal or yeah son of cal but his batman and ghost maker stuff is really really good here uh, and, and this is just a fun annual that I, I sat down and it left a smile on my face when I closed it. And I, I hope for more Batman Incorporated and Ghost Maker in the future. But if this is it, then I'm good with that. Next, we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number one. Uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are your writers. Uh, Carmen Canero is your artist. Uh, Nolan Woodard on colors. And then Joe Caramonia on letters it's a new era for steve rogers or rather a return to an old era as steve rents the apartment the the slum that he was raised in uh he's getting back to his roots he's trying to get away from being the grandiose avenger and being just steve rogers man of the people uh he enrolls at a community college so that he can learn new art techniques like using an ipad uh, rather than, you know, pen and paper. He meets some new friends, um, meets some old friends. And it's, he, basically Steve is a, um, a ham radio enthusiast now. And he stays in contact with a lot of the people that he served in the war in. And uh, people who served in Korea and uh, other, you know, more of our, our wars from the distant past. And they piece together, there is a new threat coming. And this new threat is in the form of an old ally of Steve known as the Destroyer, who if anybody who's read uh, any of the Roy Thomas Invaders will know this character well. Um, Bucky and Cap have to deal with the Destroyer. Uh, There are mysteries hidden within Cap's shield now that we never knew about. And there's a potential double cross or triple cross. Who knows in a Captain America book? I really enjoyed uh, the the cap the the Falcon Cap a few weeks ago, and I think this is a great sister title where that book has like high end, you know, kind of R.B. Silva in your face artwork. This book has a little bit more muted classic storytelling elements and i think that really fits with steve and i just really enjoyed both of these new captain america stories and the direction that captain america is going in and then this last the last week also saw the release of the passageway which is an original graphic novel by jeff lemire and andrea sorrentino on art and dave stewart on colors a uh, little behind the eight ball here or behind the curtains. 
we got a copy of this a few months ago because of something that might have happened, but it didn't get to happen. And we're not bitter. Um, not much. But no. <laughs> anyway, it was nice to see this, like hold this in my hand. Uh, this is the beginning of the Bone Orchard Mythos, which is their new uh, horror publishing line that they're going to be releasing several books in over the next few years. Uh this is a great entry point to that story. You have a mysterious hole that appears on an, a lighthouse island. Uh, the Canadian Geological Society sends out a surveyor to find out why this seemingly bottomless hole uh, appears. And as soon as he's on that island, creepiness sets in. Uh, you have like an ancient Lovecraftian darkness. You have prophecies of doom. You have a building dread throughout this entire book. You have family drama because, it, you know, it's Lemire. Uh, you have tension. You have sadness. This is just a really great story from two master storytellers. And if the rest of the Bone Orchard mythos is going to be of this quality, I cannot wait because this was... Uh, a great story, something that I think any fan of horror uh, should grab onto and get a copy because it was fantastic. And I'm done. Solid. Another person, Ed, you said Ed Brisson, and I was like, Ed Brisson? I've heard that name in years. <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. I thought it was really good. Art was a little funky at times, mm -hmm. but ultimately I think I was into it. Um, I was really pleased to see Bucky show up, obviously. I was also really pleased to see Bucky at the tail end of the book, has a little yeah. bit more going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really intrigued by that. You know, oftentimes he kind of just like pops in, shoots somebody and he's like, hey, and he kind of just walks <laughs> off. But like here, he clearly has something <laughs> to play here. Um, I thought, you know, like Tanahasi Coates's run, I think that even though this current volume seems to be like, wow, everyone loves Captain America again, I'm glad it's not losing that kind of interrogation of what that means. Because I think Coates mm -hmm. did that really well. Um, but obviously that was coming out of the Hydrocap stuff. I'm glad that Kelly and Lansing, is that who's doing it right yeah, now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that they're not losing that kind of self self evaluation mm -hmm. that I think is really core to 21st century Steve. Um, so I think that as long as that remains a part of it, uh, I'm into, and I love the, I love the, I love the mystery. I love the mm -hmm. code stuff. I think that's really fun. Yeah. Um, I didn't get a chance to read the Sam book yet. I have to catch up with that, but yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I think it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it a lot too. And again, coming from the Ta-Nehisi Coates, it is really tough to evaluate now one issue after what was it, three years and mm -hmm. a slow build story that really worked. But just as you're saying, both you guys, that this has some of that feel to it. It's that reflective sort of thing. There's, there's a line that I'm sure that there are layers to the mystery. But there's something that caught me. It, it, we turn about the shield, John, mm -hmm. and a character says to Steve, "The shield isn't what you think. It's not your symbol. It's theirs." Mm -hmm. In here in America today, where one side has has taken over the American flag, as if everybody else isn't a patriot anymore. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, wait a minute, that hit that one that hit me really hard. That really got me. Yeah, I love that opening page where they're showing it being forged. Yes, and, and mm-hmm. who's forging it, and and I, I I hope that that leads to a broader tale, because yes, you know we've we've seen images co opted in the recent history, and I hope that that story expands. Me too. Yeah, similarly, I liked the "This is what I know" layout. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, in the beginning, it was like, "Yeah, that's it. That's Cap." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I liked the uh, the the gang, um, the radio <laughs> company as yeah. well. Um, and it seems to be setting up something interesting. And I I don't know what don't know what's happening really, but I really liked the framing of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never got a chance to read the number zero issue either, but, but y'all were kind of cold on that one, if I recall. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just cut and paste. This is a cap mm-hmm. story. You you yeah. don't need to read it for to to okay. like no. this. Yeah, no, and you'll love the Sam issue as well. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. I'll, I'll definitely catch up with that one. Anything else on John's books? Well, we do have a Lemire book, and it's got, as you say, family drama and horror. So, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask because I, I, I didn't get a chance to read it because when I, I opened it up, like, oh, should I get this this week? It, I couldn't tell if it was a continuation of other stories that they had already done or not. No, this is a, this is the entryway into. OK, yeah. So then, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely jump in because yeah. it had that like subheading and I was like, oh, is this like no another volume of something? And I need to go back and find that. But but hearing you talk about it, I'm definitely going to spend the week to catch up with it, yeah. because when I saw the team and like the cover, I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. looks awesome. Yeah, this um, is but, the prelude. Yeah. OK, great. That's good to know. Cool. Um. All right. All right. Well, well, Bob, you're next. <laughs> Carolyn, I'm going to give you, you're on deck in case oh. you needed to cue up any, I don't know, sound effects <laughs> or music or anything. For I'm not a boss. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but all right, Bob, you're up. All right, well, look, since we had a listener question last week, thank you, Dallas, very much. Let's talk Wonder Woman. In this case, number 788 by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Emanuela Lupacino, Woda von Grobacher, Tamara Bonvion, and Pat Rousseau. Simply put, just a fun issue, as Dr. Psycho has his new villainy ink attack the whole of justice. But under the surface, there are some uh, messaging, really nicely done, about toxic masculinity, the fragility of groupthink. The the Clunan-Conrad run has really moved into solid footing for me, so I'm just hoping that events, in quotes, don't disrupt the flow of what we have going on here. Batgirls number seven was also written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad, although with a change of artists from their first arc. Here it's Robbie Rodriguez with Rico Renzi on colors, Beck Carey on letters. Starting off, let me say that Batgirls has quickly, quickly become one of my favorite current titles, and not just because Carolyn created it a decade ago. Just saying. I don't want to spoil too much, so I'll just try to keep this light. Babs has Cass and Steph on the trail of Seer, but not exactly for the reasons you'd figure, especially considering that Seer had, well, hacked into Barbara's computer network, framed Cassie for murder, and helped cause the destruction of the clock tower. Now, all those things have gotten better, but still, as they say in the book, rude. What we have here is honestly, um, Barbara Gordon's one of my favorite all-time characters, and more so as Oracle than Batgirl. I know that's probably 
heresy to some, but that's just me. So having her back in that mentoring command role she played so well back in Birds of Prey just makes me quite happy. This book is soldiering on. We thought this was gone, and here it is. Finally, Fantastic Four number 44 by Dan Slott, Andrea DeVito, David Tinto, Rachel Stott, Jesus Arbutov, and Joe Carmagna. Just built a ton of momentum for the coming finale of The Reckoning War and Dan Slott's finale as well as he's leaving this book after issue number 46. Here, each of the theaters of war has their time in the spotlight with triumphs and tragedies aplenty. I won't go any further as I know that some of you will be binging on Marvel Unlimited or in the trade, but I will say that for me, this self-contained event, depending on the ending, of course, could be the perfect way for the slot era to conclude. So don't ruin it, Dan. I'm done. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. I um, I thought we had to wait a little bit longer for Batgirls, and I'm so happy yeah. that it was like a month, and we were like, Batgirls is back. So that, that was great. I um, I was very excited to see that on my pull list, and I was very excited to read it as well. It's solicited out for like issue 10. Let's go. Which is great. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> now, I, now, I, now, Caroline, are you going to jump in here? But let me just say, Caroline and I were sitting having lunch after a visit over to Fourth World Comics. What? was had to be 10 years ago. Almost, yeah. And we were sitting around having sandwiches and a couple of, a couple of nice beers. And Caroline laid out this entire storyline all those years ago. <laughs> it was Batgirls Incorporated, I believe, right? Was that how you titled it? Well, I was, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with Batgirls, but I did say you could have like a, like Batman Incorporated, you know, Batgirls Inc., where you bring together everyone who's ever been a Batgirl. So I would, I would still add to this team, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, uh, I mean, I, I had some quibbles about the first six issues. I, I think they've kind of grown into it. I don't know. There were some things in the first six issues where I felt like didn't necessarily quite go with the history of the characters, but you know, that's okay. It doesn't always have to be the same, but I really liked, um, I feel like this one has really hit it. Um, I really like the Robbie Rodriguez art also. Um, I kind of thought, I think it's okay to say this now, but I was wondering if they were going to make Seer, uh, Wendy from oh, the, yeah. um, oh, I try, well, I thought, yeah, exactly. Um, Wendy, uh, a.k.a. Proxy, who was in the Stephanie Brown Batgirl mm-hmm. run um, and kind of also became a mentee of Barbara, who also had these computer skills and stuff like that. Daughter of Calculator. It seems like they're not doing that. That's fine, too. Um, and I also very much enjoyed uh, the little canine she's got there. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Giving it a Doctor Who name, but uh, um, I know that's not what they're calling it. And I like to, you know, I'm happy with a panel of Dick and Babs in the same panel. So oh, that, that, that last page, killer. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the narrator is a little much sometimes, but most of the time I'm okay with it. Gotcha. So Carolyn uh, literally just – explained exactly what my I think I may have talked about it a little bit on previous uh, on a previous episode where I said I had to take my mind out of what I maybe wanted or expected for these characters yeah. and sort of see them for what they are and then I, I I enjoyed the book more but with that said there was something about issue seven that just connected with me more and made me think okay this is kind of this is cool. I think it was six and seven. I sort of began to six. I began to come around. I read them together. Six. I began to come around to it a little bit more in line with the their um, capabilities. 
um, and you know their relationship. And for some reason, Seven just sort of really, really clicked with me. So I, I really enjoyed, you know, issue seven. Again, the art did help a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I really enjoyed, you know, issue seven. I think it was the exact same way. The first six, I had to, I had to look at it, and I said this on a previous episode. I had to look at it as an Elseworld sort of story of these characters not being the characters that necessarily are informed by the things that I've read for them, um, but you know, still, you know, great characters if you divorce them from that. And I, that's that kind of is how I got, you know, to the point of sort of appreciating issue seven more. You know, it, uh, Robbie Rodriguez, we go back to the spider Gwen, the early days there, it is still angular and a little different than the DC house style, but it is, I mm-hmm. think more fully formed. I loved mm-hmm. Jorge Corona, what he did. This is that ultra it's still a little different, but there's some it's stuff different. going on here. And it's still quirky that the scene as Steph and Cass are debating, well, what's the right way to go into this fancy party our own way? And you get the little cartoony head versions of it. it it's just really smart. Yeah. Now, I, I'm going to be the one that I'm going to talk about Wonder Woman. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just mad. <laughs> Don't be. I, I really want to. I really, really want to love it. I don't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, this is not like, you know, back in the day, we're all just like, Hatui. no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. The Lady Sif Adventures? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, this is not that. I'm not, I'm yeah. not enraged to the point where they're, I don't know. I just, there was a scene where I feel like, who was it? Um, Ali said something to her, and like, yes. did she just yeah. storm off crying. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what just happened? Yeah, yeah. And I was sort yeah. of just, I and don't know. He, but... And then he's like, "Oh, I don't mean it that way," which made it even more. Yeah, I don't know. It just for some something wasn't. I don't know. And then I don't like the way that Ziggy is. First of all, calling him Ziggy is getting on my nerves. But don't I don't like. I. I believe it or not, I actually liked him better in the Lady Sif Adventures. Um, now he seems like a punchline, mm. more, more of a punchline than an actual character. He's that fish out of water thing. We can mine that yeah. forever, sure. Yeah. I don't understand that relationship between he and, and Steve, but I, I'm glad it's not a we're going to fight over Diana thing. Mm-hmm. I do like that Etta has a neck now. So that's, that's, that's a start. That's a start. And, and I. I think her hair has improved also. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's got all of her hair. So there's <laughs> that. Um, so, you know, there are upsides. I will say the thing that is bothering me the most is the art. It seems rushed. It seems, I don't know. I don't get as much movement and as much flow uh, for you know the character in terms of trying to envision what the character is doing, they seem to be oddly placed on panel. I don't. They, it's like I said, it seems rushed. And so, I'm sorry to the artist, no disrespect, but it just doesn't click for me for Wonder Woman. Um, and I just sort of have problems struggling. I was struggling to sort of get through it and sort of enjoy each page as opposed to you know previous. You know, Nicholas Scott is sort of just like, well, oh, yeah. I, I mean, here, here's the thing Manuel Lupacino's done really good work across a lot of other books. And I think rushed is the perfect word to use here. Uh, this book has struggled across the last three or four years about having 
better stories than art. G. Willow Wilson's run as storyline, mm-hmm. awesome. Artwork, agree. pedestrian, and worse. If you had Nicholas Scott on G. Willow Wilson's run, you'd have one of the great runs probably in the last 25 years of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. But you didn't. You had one issue halfway okay is or Monaco, and then something else that was just trash. And it's like, well, you can't pay off the emotional beats. And I think that Green Arrow sequence you're referencing might have been better with better artwork. Better, very yeah. subjective. I shouldn't say that. More emotive Different. artwork. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I don't want to say that anyone's art is bad. It just, it, they don't, characters and art don't always click. And they, yes. they try, they throw things against the wall and you know, maybe in another book it might be different, but for this book, where I like to see Wonder Woman drawn with strength and, and sort of backbone and sort of presence on the screen, a certain um, dignity has to be there. Absolutely. When when she walked in with like sensible slacks on and a blouse, I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> why? Why? Wait, why? Like, you don't have a secret identity. What are you? Like, why? Why are you dressed down? Why are you wearing glasses? What's going on?" She's but Diana Prince, secret agent, yeah, I guess. Diana Prince glasses. Yes. I was just like, I didn't get it. So I don't know. But I, again, I didn't hate it. I just didn't, it didn't speak to me the way. I think I hold Wonder Woman to a higher standard than other books. So I will be honest about that. So my expectations are if there's a little bit of something off, then I'm going to call it out. Go for it. Uh, Carolyn? Fantastic Four, anyone? Oh, go yeah, ahead, I mean, I, I, I agree with, with both of you. I mean, I think that, um, I think all these points are good ones because there there was something about the art that just felt not dynamic. I don't know, not emotive, kind of like you were saying. Um, and I think that it is it can be a good thing to have a plot line that has to do with celebrity influence and mm-hmm. men feeling under attack and blaming the wrong people, especially women for their problems mm-hmm. and more powerful people attacking less powerful people and then turning it upside down to make it seem like the victims were aggressors. I mean, mm-hmm. on the one hand that reads a little clumsy and a little ridiculous, but we've been living it, you know, so, <laughs> yes, um, obviously it's not beyond reality. Um, so, you know, I like the idea of a, uh, of a new villainy ink. Um, uh, I mean, I, I like it more than the lady Sif. I wouldn't say I, I love it, but I feel like this is a kind of storyline that is a wonder woman ish storyline. And I think that the young Diana stories in the back are showing I'm some better. promise. Yes. They're, they're better than the elites. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Jordi Belair is doing would. a great job as a storyteller. And I wonder how John Tim would look on a Wonder Woman book. Hmm. Hmm. I, uh, I'm always going to re- go back to Nicola or Liam Sharpers or the people that Rucka had for his rebirth. Well, Liam Sharp would be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four. Sure. Well, let's go. <laughs> John, you want to go? John? I'm kind of ready for what comes next uh i i I'm, I'm enjoying this it's just i i don't know i've just we've been kind of been waiting to see what happens to reed waiting to see what happens to ben and then this kind of issue happens and the way this issue ends you can do almost anything in 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 45 so i i'm just 
I'm enjoying it, but I, it's one of those events that I'm waiting to see. I kind of want to see how do we how do we get out of this, and that's a good thing. You know, there's anticipation. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I will oh. say, I'll just I'll just no, I don't sound like I'm going on the attack here, but you guys were reading X Men that had to go through 47 different issues to get to anything. <laughs> and so a story that's a, a, a across five issues of Fantastic Four is sort of problematic. I'm, I'm struggling with that concept. Yeah, but we've been waiting for the Reckoning War since like 2002. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. That, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. Four or five panels in books he did 15 years ago don't count for a Jonathan Hickman whiteboard. But I, I think, but I think uh, a Fantastic Four event reads differently than an X event. We expect an X event to take forever. Oh. Where, where this? I mean, I, don't get me wrong. This is good, Bob. I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's just the anticipation of seeing. I don't know how he's going to put everything back in, you know, back in place because Slot's an old school writer, and old school writers always like to leave the toys as they mm-hmm. found them. And he's created. So so much, you know, with Johnny and the super, the supernova. And I do love when Doom looks at him and goes, yeah, I did that. I did that. That's on Doom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and then with what's going on with Reed and having the ability of the Watchers and how his, his you know, his entire body's morphing. And then, the, you know, Ben and all this. It's just, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see how Slot lands this, this, event and and i think that's where i'm coming from that i I can't wait to see where this goes so don't get me wrong i'm enjoying it i just don't know how he's gonna put all things back in place well as i said don't ruin it dan yeah you gotta stick the landing here otherwise not gonna work yeah yeah so this is the first of the 44 thus far that when it ended i said and this is where I can officially say they've gone one issue too far with this storyline, because as much as I am enjoying the storyline and I love the Valeria fake outs and I love the, you know, the, the, I am a God. And I love, you know, the, the different pieces and the watchers getting their, their comeuppance and all that stuff. I do f- for some reason feel like this episode, this issue was a stretch issue. Um, and I really felt like it was, okay, we're going to get to a conclusion at the end of it. And when I didn't, I was like, okay, I think it might have gone too long. Um, I will say, um, I there's always those things, those, those aspects of the Fantastic Four that just hit for me. And it is the complica- complicated relationships, you know, that we have just seen evolve literally through this story alone between who sticks up for whom and now who then wants to choke out whom and, you know, the, the sacrifices and, and Reed realizing that he's got to be the ass to make all the decisions that need to be made and how that impacts the people around him, because it does put you in a weird position of, I see what he had to do, but it's still shitty that he had to do it. And, you know, watching and you're looking at other characters like, well, you should understand he's got, someone's got to make the decisions, but you, of course, you know, there's that emotional side. Those are always what, that's always what, leads to those complex dynamics between the characters. And you recall when we were reading, what was the other Fantastic Four one through the, um, through the, that was going through the decades, 
what was it called? Fantastic Four something. Life Story. Life Story. Thank yeah, you. Life that story. one. Yeah. Um, we got to see the similar, a similar sort of thing happen there, where the Reed and, and Ben relationship evolved, and the Johnny relationship with everyone evolved, and all that stuff in the Doom relationship. Before we got to see those things, those are the things that I come to Fantastic Four looking for. So I got those. I, I definitely got those. I'm just talking specifically about this reckoning story because I, the parts that I didn't love was basically where the reckoning kept saying how awesome they are <laughs> over and over and over. Villains, like, you get you know, it. Like you, we get it. You're awesome. You're powerful. And as he kept walking up, you will not stop me from, I'm like, okay, we get it. You're badass. You're strong. But um, again, I'm with John. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I hate it. I'm not saying there was even anything wrong with the story. I'm just saying I, I've really, really felt this was the first time I felt like maybe we, unless there's something that's going to come out that's going to be incredible in 45, maybe we stretch this one too long. I'm not sure though, but I still enjoyed it. I, I really, I will say that I still enjoyed it. Just to see Valeria outsmart someone is enough for me. <laughs> but it, with all the sort of stuff, it, it all balances out, right? You have all this action sort of stuff. We, we get to this moment near the end of the book. And again, Reed now has, um, embodied the watchers all in his own brain and he's falling apart and he's dying and whatever. And we're, we're, we're getting to this whole thing. And I do know everything now, Susan, everything I'd ever want to learn, discover or explore across existence. And none of it compares to meeting you. That girl at the old boarding house, our first kiss, the birth of our children, our family, our friends. Yeah. Every time you told me to put down my work and join everyone for dinner or go for a walk with you or come back to bed, you were right. That was all that mattered. That's some stuff right there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and for the record, you're 100% right about X-Men, but you know. <laughs> and that's why none of us are reading it anymore. Exactly. I mean, I got, I got a lot of X-Men to catch up on, but yeah, he's, I, you're not wrong. Um, but, you know, like John said, we sort of expect – once you put Hickman's name on something – you expect to need a rubric or something to get through the rest of it and figure out what's as, as you do. Yeah. Carolyn, you queued up? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, we're not uh, reading X-Men, but Dallas, hang in there. We're going to answer your question. <laughs> this week, yes. I mean, I'm reading it. No, I'm still reading it. Yeah. I read, um, I read the second issue of Legion of X. I really enjoyed it, but like, I, it is not, it is not top of my pull list anymore. And if I miss an issue, I don't feel bad catching up a few months down the line. Well, because it's not that connected story that we, yeah. you know, that we were exactly. all on board with. So, you know, there's, exactly. it's, it's split into Red different pieces. Sneaky good. I love that book. I haven't caught up. So there, yeah. I'll add to the list. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Always all right, Carolyn. Storm. Go ahead, Carolyn. <gasps> oh, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm here. I'm back. Number one, thirsty mermaids. Are we sure nobody's talked about this before? Doesn't matter. Go for it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Go. <laughs> I don't think so. But okay, thirsty mermaids by Cat Lay, nominated for an Eisner for her best humor publication. 
Here's the publisher summary. Fresh out of shipwreck wine, three tipsy mermaids decide to magically masquerade as humans and sneak onto land to indulge in more drinking and a whole lot of fun in the heart of a local seaside tourist trap. But the good times abruptly end the next morning as through the haze of killer hangovers, they realize they never actually learn how to break the spell and they're now stuck on land, which means they have to enlist the aid of their I know we just met, can we crash with you bartender friend, struggling to make sense of the world around them and even trying to get a job with no on land skills, all while attempting to return to the sea and make the most of their current situation with tenacity and camaraderie. Okay, so it's exactly, this is exactly what it is, and it's hilarious and ridiculous and fun. Um, But some parts of it are also insightful and poignant and serious, but mostly it's just fun. And Kat did some Lumberjanes, so that is the art in terms of style and in terms of the characters' identities and bodies and personalities and facial expressions and stuff. It's about it's about friendship and being happy with yourself and forged families and all that kind of good stuff. Two thumbs up for Thirsty Mermaids. All right, number two, The Black Panther Party, a graphic novel history by David F. Walker. Ooh. Art by... Yeah, written by David F. Walker, art by Marcus Kwame Anderson, and this is nominated for an Eisner for Best Reality-Based Work. Publisher's summary is, it explores the impact and significance of the Panthers, founded in Oakland in 1966, from their social, educational, and healthcare programs that were designed to uplift the Black community, to their battle against police brutality through citizen patrols and frequent clashes with the FBI, which targeted the party from its outset. It captures the major events, people, and actions of the party, as well as their cultural and political influence and enduring legacy. So what this book basically is, is like a really good resource. It starts with like 30 pages of historical context for who the Panthers were and why. So basically in those 30 pages, it's running through hundreds of years of white violence and oppression um, in different forms uh, toward African-Americans. It shows you the different points of view, um, you know, in the country in general and also within the group um, and about how Panthers were not this stereotype that we're often handed today of, you know, they're black people in leather jackets carrying guns for no good reason. <laughs> but, you know, because of this history, this oppressive history, because they were trying to protect people from police brutality, um, yes, they carried guns, as is their Second Amendment right, even though that made some people who today want open carry very, very nervous. But anyway, they also invented free breakfast programs. They pioneered African-American studies. They opened their own schools. They had medical and dental clinics. They gave out legal advice and clothes and shoes. They ran free buses to prisons for prisoners' families. They escorted seniors on errands if they needed it. They provided free meals and groceries. And ideologically, they linked the oppression of African-Americans to that of all people of color here and abroad, all while being harassed and beaten and jailed and assassinated by our government. If you think I'm sounding crazy and conspiratorial, all these documents are public now. I'm not exaggerating. And of course, what's difficult about this is what they were organizing for 50 years ago is a lot of the same stuff (laughs) the Movement for Black Lives is organizing about today. And the inequalities within the Panthers, like that women were like half the members, but virtually unrepresented in leadership, those things things are still with us today too. And Walker uh, has an afterword in the back and he says, quote, in the end, perhaps the legacy of the Panthers isn't about what they may have done right versus what they may have done wrong. Perhaps it's about the pathology of a nation so corrupted by inequality and oppression that it gave birth to the Panthers only to then destroy what it created. A nation where 
a nation where Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old black kid, was killed by police in 2014 for holding a toy gun, while the following year, Dylan Roof, a 21-year-old confirmed white supremacist, was arrested without harm after he killed nine people in a, nine black people in a church. Wow. So it's a, obviously, it's heavy, right? Yeah. But it really is a good resource. There is a lot of information in it, a lot, but it's very clearly laid out. And um, so it's a good overview to not just the, the group, but the politics of the time. And of course, a lot of the stuff uh, that we are still living with. Okay. Um, some book books, but you know, comics adjacent books. Um, and those are Star Wars books. Um the one that I read most recently is called Queen's Hope. It's by E.K. Johnston, but it's the third in a trilogy. Queen's Shadow from 2019, Queen's Peril from 2020. All three of them center on Padme and her handmaidens. And so like all of them are kind of the central characters. All of their personalities and skills are fleshed out. Um, in the first one, Padme is queen. In the second one, she's just become a senator. And in the, this most recent one, she's a senator, but now it's wartime. It's basically the Clone Wars. So all kinds of dramatic, interesting stuff happens and they're well-written, uh, totally recommended. The other um, Star Wars book that came out, I think just a few weeks ago, is called Brotherhood by Mike Chen. It's an Anakin and Obi-Wan adventure. It takes place during the Clone Wars times. And the entire book spins out of one line in the beginning of the Revenge of the Sith movie where Anakin says to Obi-Wan, I've saved your life 10 times. And Obi-Wan says, no, it's only the ninth time because that business on Cato Nemoidia doesn't count. <laughs> okay. So this book is what happened on Cato Nemoidia. Sure, sure. <laughs> It's a fun read if you like these characters in the time period. The personalities are right there, the politics, the swashbuckling, and also if you want to know how they met Asajj Ventress, um, here it is in this book. All right. Uh, last but not least, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Okay. I love it. I love it. I love it. I've watched every ep of every Star Trek series and some are better than others. I'm, I'm still watching Discovery and I'm glad I am, but it really was a tough sit for me in the first season, especially. Um, I'm watching Lower Decks. I'm watching Prodigy. Prodigy. I watch them all. I would watch Patrick Stewart read the phone book. So I love Picard too, <laughs> because it's Picard. I love Deep Space Nine and I appreciate that they tried to like have a show in the Star Trek universe that complicates questions of empire and colonialism and post-traumatic stress and stuff. But this is all prelude to say this show, this new show, Strange New Worlds, is so tapping into the original series and the next generation and how they had that just straight out idealism that we're going to have a better future. And all different kinds of people, all of us, get out there and try to do good together. Um, and they're also giving us all these long time you know, these nods to things that we know, Spock and Nurse Chapel, James T. Kirk's brother, Uhura's communication skills, the Noonien Singh bloodline, that number one is humorless, um, body swapping, but without the misogyny of turnabout intruder. Exactly. Uh, putting a person into a machine as an energy source. Oh, wait, that's Babylon 5, right, John? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, also, Anson Mount's hair, special shout out. It's spectacular. Oh. I mean, God, it, is a, so it is a luxurious mane. I, I just, I love it. I love the show. And that's it. <laughs> it's, it really is. It really is wonderful. The last episode in particular. Captain really Angel. Cool. It's please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. That episode was fantastic. I, I've really enjoyed watching every single one. It, 
the the idealism you mentioned is the thing that has drawn me to Star Trek more and more over the last couple of years since I I jumped on. Anson Mount's hair is ridiculous. It's oh so my tall. God. It's getting taller in every episode. <laughs> How it is, right? I know I thought that. I was like, is it getting taller? It's like egg whites and stiff peaks. I I don't know how it goes. <laughs> it's a meringue. Yeah, it just, all of a sudden it just happens, right? You're just whipping the cream and all the And there it, it is. Pops up. Yeah. I've, yeah. You can follow it on Instagram now. No. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, funny. Yeah. It, it is for me, as you can imagine, Carolyn, all the things that, that I brought to any Star Trek after the first one, it's all kind of here. And there yeah. is Captain Pike and he's – when we saw Jeffrey Hunter do it, and he was very internal about the yeah. struggles that went with what was going to happen. I, I'm the captain of 231 people or whatever, he mm-hmm. says. It was a smaller crew back then. And they're here, and he knows his own future. And he's in, starting his arc within these first few episodes as he embraces what's going to happen and now takes some chances mm-hmm. and does some things that are, I'm liking that you're you're going for this number one all the way back i thought number one was an underutilized character that oh yeah now we have some exploration when she and and ms singh are doing the whole you know sort of enterprise bingo whatever that was great totally loved it loved that episode you're getting levels of these characters uhura is so wonderful here Across the board, everyone, again, this last episode with Nurse Chapel and Spock, the, the things you're doing as a prequel to what we know, mm-hmm. don't mm. disavow them. They amplify them, and they're finding ways to f- look into the nooks and crannies of what was in the original series and a pilot that almost no one saw in its original form until the video yeah. era. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just I... loving this, loving every minute. I also love how much of a non-character the Kirk character. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. Like, like he just shows up, gets knocked out. Like in both <laughs> in the both episodes that he sh- he's been in, he's the red he gets shirt. knocked out. Yes. Yeah, like I love that. And, and if that remains the gag for the rest of the season, I'm I am here for and it. He's got to keep the dumb mustache too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like he walks on, gets like hit with a pot, and he's just like down <laughs> yeah. for the whole episode. I just love it. I love it. He looks um, it's like a ton the, of fun. He looks like the um oh Galaxy Quest. Uh, what's his name? Oh Sam Rockwell's oh, character. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> number three or whatever he was. When, yeah. when he shows yeah. up the first time, I'm like, oh my god, it's Sam Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Ortega's oh. too. I just yes. love yeah, yes. yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Cracking me up. Cass is great. And to Pring, oh, yeah. I'm glad that, I, I didn't know they were going to go to to Pring. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctor yeah. with the doctor with the, his backstory. That oh, was yeah, back right. yeah. 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 the power source. In the day. That yep. was intense. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. It's really great. Yeah. And Carolyn, are you still reading the Star Wars comics? Any of them? Nope. But that's mostly because yeah. I'm barely kept up on anything. So, sure, um, sure. I yeah, I mean when I got to about I want to say 2020 <laughs> really yeah. my comics reading dropped off terribly but I'm 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 sure. uh, I could answer questions about Star Wars comics from 1977 to 2020 but after that I cannot. <laughs> you didn't stick around I, for the 30 I, part bounty hunter war? No. <laughs> bounty I'm hunter really war. <laughs> 
I'm really only caught up with Dr. Afra just because I love that character and I love that book. Um, but I also fell off of like Vader and the main Star Wars book and all that stuff. Yeah, there is there is uh, an uh, an actress in the Obi-Wan show that I kind of thought maybe was going to hopefully be Dr. Afra, but I guess she's not since she's... I would have loved oh, that. That would have been awesome. <laughs> But we can talk about show. that. We'll, in we'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> I have a question about Thirsty Mermaids. Is how adult or not is this? Is this all ages? Where's the Where's the through line on that one? No, it's really not for kids. Okay. I mean, it's, there's, there's a there's a lot of uh, swearing and drunkenness. I mean, okay. I think. It, oh, that's nothing. Um, oh, I mean, no. if the premise. If the premise is mermaids walk into a bar, I think I think you're <laughs> three out. mermaids walk it's into fair. a bar. <laughs> but there's, yeah, I mean, they deal with um, their time on land in different ways, and and okay, I don't want to spoil it because it's just hilarious. But one of them does struggle a bit, and so there is kind of a serious turn that gets taken okay. that may also be sad for kids no, I mean nothing bad happens to the person and they they get a lot of support and things are okay in the end and, and good and whatever but I don't know if a little littler kid would get that kind of thing above 13 yeah, we're I mean, talking or in oh, yeah. 11 or 12 or where are we at do you think uh it depends on the person you know okay. it's, it's not a it's not it won't take you long to skim through it yourself okay. so I, I guess I would say look at it first gotcha but it's laugh out loud, funny, and the art is super cute, very Lumberjanes esque. Perfect. And the, the Black Panther thing, anything David F. Walker does, I'm interested in. Exactly. When yeah. you talk about the great. politics of this, it, it is it is not oh, interesting. So it, it is just sort of the way things are. No one complained about the Guardian Angels running around beating people mm-hmm. up right in their time, right? How did that? That was what five years later, six years later, right? Whereas in yeah. California, like the legislature and the governor, who was PS at the time, Ronald Reagan, you know, mobilized to literally pass a law that you can't openly carry a weapon in California just because these people were doing it, right? I mean, yeah. it just. Yeah. They were they had the knowledge that what they were doing was within their constitutional rights. It's just that mm-hmm. people who had otherwise been doing so became very, very frightened when they saw black men and women doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. I would say in a way it feels more like the um, it doesn't I don't know how to say it. one of the cool things about the art is that so many panels are like a comicized version of a famous old news photo that you've seen. Oh, I like that idea. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciated that. I think you would too. If you were to use it in the classroom and if you showed it to students, they wouldn't quite get that part. And they might feel like, I think they might feel like a lot of the art is kind of static because you're being introduced to so many people um, who, you know, I mean, I learned about some people too, but like, there are a lot of people to get to know and a lot of politics that if you're familiar with that time period, you know, but it has to be spelled out. So it's almost in a way like reading an illustrated book rather than a graphic novel. I don't know quite what I'm, what the dividing line is between those two things. Um, but I just, but the art looks more like you're looking at newspaper photos. If that, I don't know how else to put it. It's history. That's very cool. 
Right, right. Sounds great. Yep, thumbs up for that. Is it my turn now? <laughs> All right. I'll start with Eat the Rich. This is Sarah Gailey and Pius Bach. Uh, we talked about this book a little bit. I know Steve was also got into it too. Um, this is finally collected all together. It's about five issues long. Uh, takes place in Crestfall Bluffs. Our main character, Joey, not like my name. Um, she plans to spend the summer with her boyfriend, Aster, who is super rich, super white, super like ultra privileged. So they end up at this like beach house and uh, things go awry when Joey sees Aster's dad and some of the other kind of older guys um, murdering the help and then serving them as food. Ow. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's at the end of the first issue. I feel comfortable spoiling that. That's kind of like the the hook of it. And I remember when we read the first issue, we, we were getting a lot of uh, Ready or Not vibes, right? You have the kind of girlfriend that shows up at the house and has to kind of like fit into the family, but then the family's like screwed up. Um, the series takes a different turn as Joey kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of acclimates a little bit to the situation. Uh, but then, of course, then the ready or not elements do come in the later half of the book. But it's a really cool book, really pulpy, bloody as hell. Um, asks some really interesting questions about privilege and acts and why the why people would if not voluntarily enter such a system of exploitation, um, be forced into such a system of exploitation. So um, it takes those questions, obviously, to the extremes of cannibalism, but a really wonderful book. And Pius Box artwork is just, it's its really cool. It's a really, really cool looking book. So um, if you're in, for, it took me like maybe to read the whole collective volume maybe took me like 45 minutes to read. So it's a quick read, ton of fun. Um, just like a movie like ready or not, or knives out is right. Like it's a short kind of uh, action packed thriller, horror comedy, whatever you want to do with it. Um, it has all of those elements and um, some really great questions too. So eat the rich was a really wonderful book. Um, another book was do a power bomb. Number one from Daniel Warren Johnson, uh, fan favorite here on the podcast. Um, our, this is about pro wrestling and uh, it opens with pro wrestling and a, a, a championship bout between us steel Rose. And uh, I can't remember his, her opponent's name in the, in the, it's like Tokyo dragon or something like that. Um, and uh, things go awry. There is a botch as we say in the industry mm. uh, in the match and things uh, don't, don't um, end too well for Miss Steel Rose. Uh, and unfortunately her daughter is watching the bout fast forward 10 years. And uh, Lona Steel Rose wants to follow in her mother's footsteps and wants to train and wants to be a champion. But her dad and other people in the industry are kind of keeping her at arm's length because of what happened to her mother. Um, enter. And this is when things get weird, a necromancer. <laughs> and, uh, you have the makings of what I thought was going to be like a ready to rumble book, which was a rumble book was, which was another comic that was out a few years ago. That was just to be about pro wrestling. This one takes this supernatural turn at the end, which is like, okay, I guess we're doing that. Um, first of all, it's Daniel Warren Johnson. So you have this combination of just like incredibly dynamic, 
stunning artwork with a really nuanced emotional premise, right? That is rooted in family and legacy. Like if, if you follow Warren Johnson's career, like this is at the core of a lot of his work, no matter the genre, no matter the premise, no matter the conceit, he's exploring parenthood. He's exploring children. He's exploring legacy. And, and that is definitely going to be at the core of this book as well. And I am, I am 100% here for it. I think Duo Powerbomb was a great debut issue and, and I will gladly uh, follow along with the rest of it. I also caught up with all of the Shang-Chi book that Jin Luen Yang has been doing with DK Ruan and uh, Marcus Toe, partly because they announced that Shang-Chi and the 10 rings book that's coming out in July. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, so I wanted to catch up a little bit with this. Um, look, I, I really loved this book and the previous miniseries that before it, when it was about Shang-Chi and the five weapon society, I love the introduction of more of his family. I loved, you know, Shang-Chi kind of taking over his father's criminal organization and trying to both fit into the role of leader of that criminal organization while also trying to transform it into doing something good. And that like the first six issues of this series, which was like Shang-Chi versus the Avengers were awesome. And I loved every single one of those issues. I thought they were so fun. And then the back half of this volume, I think Aaron and I, we talked about it a, a few months ago. It became like, all right, Gene, like make Shang-Chi in the Marvel universe the same as Shang-Chi in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. And like they introduce Talo and they bring the mother back, um, who is different from the mother yeah. from the original original yeah. book, which is I get it. Like, I understand why, but it's it's definitely it, th- like it, it, with Marvel, they have this terrible habit of of hijacking books so that they better reflect the movies. Yes. And this series uh, suffered from the same thing that we felt when we were watching, when we were reading the America miniseries mm. from a couple of months ago too, which was like anything that was cool about it kind of got muddled as they were like, and now we're in Talo. And also there's 10 rings now and you're (laughs) in charge of the 10. And I'm like, what? Like what, why is this a thing? Like, we don't have to do this. Shang-Chi has already had such an insane history in these books. And Jin Wen Yang was adding this new cool stuff with the five weapon society. And the second we went to Talo and the mom came into the book and we had the 10 rings and all of that. It just, that all, all of it felt so forced whether Jean Luen Yang actually had an interest in doing this stuff or not. I don't know, but it reads so much like a, a cheapened version of also what the, the movie did as well that I really lost interest in the back four issues or so of this series, which sucks because I, I was really into it for the first chunk. Um, and I'm also really into the movies, so I, I I would have loved it if it did work. But I also didn't need any of it. So, you know, I'll I'll probably start the Shang Chi and the and the Ten Rings miniseries. But to be honest, I I don't know if I'll I'm I'm as interested anymore because also like he doesn't need it. He doesn't need the power rings. Like it's not a thing that is of any interest to the comics version of that character. But but that's just me. Um. W- w- 
Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Ms. Marvel. I do want to talk about the show, too, because I didn't get a chance to last week. And I know Carolyn and Aaron didn't either, so I want to make sure everyone gets a chance. Um, but I, I went back and I reread G. Willow Wilson's first volume. Um, and I read the f- first six issues of the second volume after the the Secret War stuff. Um, this book, the book is amazing. Like, yeah, Ms. Marvel... I read it myself. Yeah, it is. It, it is so special so incredible that first volume in particular where g willow wilson and adrian alfona you could tell are like you know what we don't know how long this book is going to be around so (laughs) we're going to do the whatever we want like you could tell the artwork is so fun so experimental the 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 thomas edison cockatiel i want him i want him in the show (laughs) <laughs> is absurd. I think you'll get him. I think you'll get him. Is absurd, but uh, but but clearly moves away in the second volume. Like the second volume, like you start with like Doctor Faustus and Hydra, and I'm like, okay, I guess Ms. Marvel is like officially part of the Marvel universe now, you know. Um, but you know, I'm reading those first 16, 17 issues, and the last days arc in particular, when you know we were going into the Secret Wars thing. And, you know, when Carol shows up in, in that issue at the very end and, you know, Kamala's talking to her mom, like I just started crying mm-hmm. again. And I was like, this book, it was so, so good. And it is still so good. And reading the first six issues of the second volume, um, when Takeshi Miyazawa comes on and Nico Leon comes on too, like – I'm reading those and I'm reading Dr. Faustus and I'm reading the gentrification arc and I'm reading the, the clone arc too, where she like gets all the, the golems of herself made. I'm like, this is what we're going to get in the show. And the reason why I say that is because the show has done such a wonderful job of capturing the spirit of those books. Um, and you talked about it last week and I, I definitely feel that as well. The, the spirit of it, the, the changes of it, I, I I enjoy some of them. I'm I'm liking some of them more than others, but I, I I was so glad I reread the book as I was watching the first two episodes because it just felt like I was reading the same thing and I, reading and watching the same character and and I think that that is a really really wonderful element. Um, I'll quickly say about Obi Wan Kenobi because I've also been watching that. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi for me, it's wonderful seeing you McGregor again. Uh, I love the, the, the cast of characters around him too. Obi-Wan Kenobi for me definitely feels like it is for the folks that have really kept up with the lore and like clone wars and all that stuff. That would be me. Um, <laughs> yes, because I'm watching it and I'm like, I know that there are people out here that are like, this is the coolest freaking stuff ever. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have any of that background. So I'm just enjoying it. But, but I know that there are people that are like, oh my God. And for those people, I I am so happy for you. I'm enjoying it. I think it's cool. Um, but there are definitely like stretches of each episode where I'm like, you know, if I had watched four seasons of The Clone Wars, I probably would be like screaming right now. Um, seven, yeah, Joey. It's, it's seven seasons of Clone Wars. Seven seasons of Clone. I'm sorry. Seven seasons of Clone Wars. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's me. Um, before we jump into Ms. Marvel and uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, 
Um, I think, John, you read Do a Powerbomb, right? I love Do a Powerbomb. And it's Cobra Sun is the Cobra Sun. And it, Tokyo Dragon, Cobra Sun. Yes, you know, it whatever. Was, <laughs> it was so good. And Johnson's art, it's like you feel those punches on those pages. Oh, and, yeah. And it, I didn't know what this book was going to be. I was on board with it no matter what because of who he is. But no, it, it's it's such a good th- it's such a good book. And then I'm with you 100 percent on Shang Chi that it it lost all momentum in those last four issues. It was yeah. so forced. It was so painfully forced. And, and I'll probably read the Ten Rings just because I think I pre-ordered it. But sure, I'm just oh, it didn't need it to be done. It lost it. And I was so into like the Avengers and everyone mm-hmm. being like, Shang-Chi, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm in charge of a criminal organization. Like, suck it up. You know, like right. I was so into that. And then they were like, they were like, let's take a break from that and uh, introduce Talo and this like alternate family history just so that we can better reflect the history. And I was just like, no, it, it's not working. Like, get away from it. Um, well, yeah, I went back and reread the whole of the original when the movie was first announced. I have all the omnibuses, and there's you're talking about Deadly Hands of Kung Fu yeah, and, and Master of Kung that. Fu, yeah. And there's so much there: the lore, the 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 cast of characters, and you could have modernized that, and it would have been phenomenal. You could have done the whole spy angle and the father and all that. This just felt felt Wh- so heavy handed and forced. Which Jin Luan Yang had in the. F- the five issue yep. Shang Chi series he did. He had the the character from MI six. Yeah, and, I can't and, remember and her that, name right in now. In the special they did before this kicked off, they did something with that too. And then this, I thought that maybe they would do some of that as he takes over the yeah. the, the deadly the yeah the five deadly uh, hands and all that. But then it it was just an abrupt turn. It wasn't even yeah. it didn't even make any. It just no. It, it did it was. Like we're just doing this, deal with it. And it was a it was a shameless oh yeah copy of the yeah. film. It felt too. like a and I was just like yeah. It felt like a bad movie adaptation. Yeah. 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 That and it's a it's a real bummer. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's gonna happen with that book. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um into Miss Marvel though. <laughs> first of all, first of all. I here's what I'll say. I love Miss Marvel. It's amazing. I sobbed through the second episode. I, it was so, so many parts of that episode just made me just weep tears of joy. I'm going to say this right now and you all can feel free to disagree with me, but reading the comics and watching the show, I am so done with the Bruno really? character. I just, I, I, I don't like him. I don't like him in the book, like in the book too. Like when they introduced Mike, and like he went off with Mike, mm-hmm. I was like, this is great. Like, get yeah. I don't need I don't okay. need romantic Bruno. Like, I don't need romantic interest Bruno. The best parts of the book for me is every time Kamala is like, You are my best friend. There is no chance of this turning romantic. Like, okay. I I have loved that that has been a thread through the book, that that friendship has stayed, and he was out of the book for a while, and all of that. Like that pining boy in the background thing. I just yeah. I'm so better as Bruno was the guy in the chair. Yes. Yeah. And in the se- and in, in the series too. First of all, I'm not taken with the actor. I don't I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like him. 
I don't think he's doing a like he's he's kind of a non-entity for me compared to like the actress playing Nakia and Zoe yeah. and obviously Iman Balani and the parents and the fam like all of them I think are so great. The Bruno character for me just feels like that actor is just like he's just there. And the fa- and that I have to like go through the Bruno as romantic interest again story after having kind of like <laughs> gone through it in the comics. I'm like I'm over this. I'm over this. And we were watching it and um, Emily's been watching with me too, and she's very into it. Again, someone who's not into the, has like no familiar with the characters. Like she's very into the show. And she was just like, we were watching the first episode, and Emily was just like, Bruno, she's not into you. Like, get over it. <laughs> like, and it's like, and, and it's like, and, and, and I, I hope that the television series holds on to that because I think that it is much the, the thing that makes the comics so so wonderful is that it it is free of that trope of the best friend becoming romantic like it's free of that trope and like and the comic didn't go down that path right it's always been there the best friend what's going to happen sure but it, it's never been a real kind of possibility you know Kamala has, Kamala has had her own romantic interest throughout the book and some more than others I don't want the show to have that like TV show trope where it's like, well, will they or won't they? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, the answer is well, they won't. And well, like, you know it ahead of time. Yes. Exactly. Uh, Man in the chair, I'm fine with, you know? Um, so we'll see. I love the show. I think it's so fun. I am not as taken with the power change as, as you all kind of were talking about last week. It, it, there was a moment in the second episode where she says, it feels like an idea come to life or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like the cosmic mm-hmm. powers feel like an idea comes to life. And I loved that line. And I think it, it made me like it a little bit more, but it, I don't know. It just, I, I need to see more of it. It's it's, it hasn't really clicked for me. Not that I think the embiggening like stretchiness would have been good either in this medium, but there's just something about it visually that's not necessarily clicking uh, for me yet. I don't know if I talked about this um, but I last love the week. Music. There's a there's a theory around. Mm-hmm. And from from a a respected YouTuber who interviewed the directors and they're talking about the power change. And their comment was, meaning the directors, that it's it's her powers will evolve. And sure. we'll get to the and, and we'll get see- to the last episode and their quote is, "It'll be the real deal." Yeah, I I think that the, I love the I love the bangle. I love that in the second episode it says the bangle has awoken something yep. that's already in you. Like that, that, like all of the things and the idea come to life thing. I love because what I'm loving about this iteration of the character is that it there is still that element of the 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 fan right and the and the the person who is like creating and telling stories right and that's introduced in the first episode when the mother says like i want you to tell your own story so like the idea that the powers are some manifestation of her imagination i think is so wonderful i think it's such a wonderful element of that character that is more important than her ability to stretch or grow or change or whatever you know like that's fine i'm not opposed i think just visually there's something about it that it's i'm not necessarily clicking with yet and we'll see as it continues on i'm glad that there's weight to it like it's Slowly but surely, I'm sure that I'll be into it. The visual style of the show is incredible to me. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. But I am loving it for me. And I think many people have remarked this. It is the most the one that I've been the most excited about since WandaVision, you know, yes. like it, it, I think it's the one that's doing the most. I think it has its clearest style to it. You know, it is its own entity. I, I just am so excited for it every, every week. Um, Carolyn and Aaron, I know you didn't get a chance to talk about Ms. Marvel yet. So any thoughts on the show? Go ahead, Carolyn. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say the power's, change or difference for now is not offensive to me. Um, but I felt differently, Joey, with that line about it's an idea come to life. Like I, I understand what they're doing and I liked like, okay, obviously Kamala's so creative and you got all the Scott Pilgrim animation, well beyond Scott Pilgrim animation happening and stuff. And I love that. So I can see why they're putting it that way. Um, but when she said it in those words, I felt like it was a little too green lantern-y for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and I feel like when you don't, I, I understand why they're not going to do the, the stretchiness, right? But when you don't have that body aspect happening, it makes me miss the parallels to X-Men, like your body's changing at puberty kind of metaphor. Ooh, yes. And I am worried, maybe worried isn't the right word, with with the with those with the shape shifting powers, without that, we don't get that moment, that awesome moment where she shape shifts to Carol, and she realizes she doesn't need to do that. She doesn't need to be white and blonde and have high heels and a wedgie. Yeah, yeah. And that whole it's so powerful. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm hoping maybe we get some version of that, like maybe when she's making her own costume and realizes she doesn't have to wear Captain Marvel's costume or something. But it loses a little something in the translation when it doesn't start out with the long blonde hair and the high heels and the yeah. you know that that whole thing. Might they have been concerned the about having are... a, a Pakistani American dream of being a white girl? And just didn't want to address that, even though the reverse of it then becomes so much more powerful. Just the interim step might have been something they didn't want to go for. Maybe, but I feel like that is maybe part of the immigrant experience, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The powers, like that, that component of the character is missing for me, you know, like... And the, the, and I was, it's in the comic too, where Mm -hmm. she says like, I don't have pretty powers and her powers in the show are very pretty. Like they are like, they're almost, and I think this might be the problem. Like they're so, they're so pretty. It's cool. They're so cool and cosmic and pretty. And, and it's, it's so light up and, and, and I, maybe it's just, I have to kind of remove that. But for me, that was such an integral part of the character. Right. And such, and at the moment you're talking about, is the moment people continue to academically and pop culturally yeah. write about yeah. as a defining component of that character, you know? And um, the, it's not that that show, it's not that the show is scared of addressing those elements. You know, she mm-hmm. has the comments in the first episode and the Nokia scene in the bathroom, one of the moments oh, where I saw yeah. when she was like, I'm too white mm-hmm. to be considered this and I'm too, and then I put the hijab and like that moment, like the show is not afraid of talking about those things. But as you're saying, the power change removes potentially the possibility for that visual moment where Kamala 
manifests what she think power looks like, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we will get something similar or not. Who knows? But I don't know. But so, yeah. And I, I just want to make a related point and then I can talk about stuff I love. But uh, another thing that I, I feel like they haven't done so far, but maybe it's coming, is that I thought it more it was more kind of right off the bat in the comic that you see her respect for her parents and her culture. Whereas I feel like in the show, it's a little more one-sided, like she's trying to break away from it more. I, I don't know. I, I just, the, the way I remember the book, which I have not reread in, you know, in the last month or anything like that. Um, I sort of remembered things like her quoting the Quran earlier on or talking to, I don't know. Um, but I'm sure that, and I mean, one of the ways that they do do it, which I thought was wonderful, was the scene with her parents in the Hulk costume. I mean, that oh, was like, that was gorgeous. Yeah. you know, perfect from the kid's point of view, perfect from the parent's point of view, just an excellent scene. Um, but anyway, I assume that will come, that we'll see her feel sure. more torn, you know, like, because it, it, I felt like that, you know, the only mosque scene they had so far was just her being like, we can't see you, which didn't quite which, be as respectful as I was expecting. But that scene, actually, I was really... Oh, no, it's in there. I know. Because I had literally... I had literally just read the scene. It's almost beat mm-hmm. for beat, the comic book scene. Mm-hmm. But the only added thing, which I was actually very excited about, is the expansion of the Nakia characters yeah. who are now running for council. Yeah. Or, love that. Mosque council. Which I, I, I love the I love the the focus on the Nakia character, basically is what I'm saying from the second episode. Um, the second episode, I think, really cleaned up a lot of things for me like i said i was just sobbing through the whole episode then we bring the partition into into play wow Mm -hmm. that's powerful it's coming i'm telling you that that moment when she flashes down into the purple thing you know that's not some ancestral plane i think that that is going to be in the partition episode i think that that is going to be the representation of it she's seeing her heritage and her, her history and her lineage playing out in that. And I think that that's what I, that's what I envision. And cause I, I, I think that the cosmic elements of it, I think that's a MacGuffin, I think, or a red herring rather. I think that it's going to be a much more grounded thing. You don't think they're going to go for whatever the indiscretions of the ancestor were. Maybe it was just that she fell in love with a Cree or something like that. No. Okay. I hope not. I or maybe lost in the negative zone, and that's <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like with making, I think it would tie something like that. I feel like would tie her to Carol and explain the bangle. I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. Aaron, did you get a chance to watch it? I know you usually wait six months to watch the Disney. <laughs> oh. I have not watched it. <laughs> no, I actually watched it. Um, oh, I watched the first episode. I haven't watched the second episode. Um, and you guys, re- as you were having this conversation about it, I was really going back and forth about how I felt about the powers, the power set, because I've I've waffled on that. To be honest with you, primarily because I was never really I, what I loved about Ms. Marvel was not her powers. You know, it wasn't that wasn't the draw for me. Um, and so I, you know, I don't know if I was so incredibly tight. Like, I don't like, I a hundred percent agree with her. She doesn't have pretty power. She doesn't have 
you know, those things that would make people cower in fear. I think it's more so the character of Kamala that has drawn me in. The only thing about the power is that, and, and this is why I was waffling as you guys were talking about it, that I don't like when they, and I think I said this when they first announced it and, and Joey was on about his negabands. Um, but <laughs> I think I, I, I said this then, the only thing I don't like when we make changes to characters is when we don't make their powers about them, when they are not, when they are external and not internal. Um, and so it almost feels like it's it's robbing them of something. And so that was kind of the the, the fear I had, but now I'm sort of, I'm, I'm going back and forth and sort of saying, let's just give it time to evolve and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say that as I was watching the first episode, my first thought was, easily could do a green lantern uh, series easily uh, yeah you know mm-hmm. um so i you know that was a thought i had but um on the other side though i i will say and maybe this will be a segue i don't know i really enjoy the actors in this i specifically really love kamala i was trying to think of why i wanted it because she is saying the lines but layering it with her own personality she is doing those teen things those little quirk things those little things that are sort of in between sentences you can see the thoughts running through her brain as her parents are saying things but then she's responding and then she's going back and she's sort of like that sort of talking over all that stuff really seems genuine and really makes me think that she understands be you know understand how she's supposed to come off this sort of teenager who wants to do really well who is doing well who's not really struggling with morality you know because that's one thing about kamala she never really i don't believe anyway struggled with understanding what was right and wrong just trying to figure out how to do all the things that she wants to do so i i appreciate that um from an acting perspective, maybe not as much as other shows. In other shows, we'll talk about later. But you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> are you are you trying to segue into Obi Wan Kenobi? Well, since you asked, <laughs> <laughs> since you go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> I cannot stand young Leia. Do not blaspheme in here. To quote Aretha Franklin in the Blues Brothers movie, do not blaspheme in here. <laughs> I am getting young Anakin Skywalker. <gasps> oh my God, that. shut your mouth. Yeah, Ren. I, I just, every time she came on the screen, I'm like, <gasps> nope. Nope, oh. sorry. Best Star Wars since 1980, I'm telling you. Uh, no, I, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying the show. I'm not saying I'm talking specifically this this actress. I know, I know. I just feel like she's reading. She's like seventeen years old. Pick on her. She's a little girl. We have seen other actors that age. Just sort of. I don't know. Is there a young boy? No, let's not go there. There's just something about her that seems like she's perfect for the role. She's exactly. not acting, but pretending. That's what acting is. No, it's not the same. I just don't. I feel like she's. I feel like she's reading from a a cue card. She's ten. Listen, I love how Aaron is also making these comments 
about a Star Wars thing. <laughs> As though Star Wars has been noted for its incredible <laughs> acting prowess. There is that. But I didn't want I didn't want to go too far with Carolyn. I didn't want her to, to really come at me. I don't know. Aaron, I just, in, I just, in your defense, in your defense, I will say that I have noticed with all of the Star Wars content that I was like, you know what? I do have to temper my expectations in terms of the 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 acting, <laughs> the level of dramatic yeah, flair yeah. that you get in these shows, like the Mandalorian stuff and the 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 Book of Boba Fett in particular. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I really got to turn my notch down here yeah. in terms of expect yeah. my expectations in terms of the acting. Um, as I said in my in my lightning round, the Obi Wan show for me has been fun. I do not, aside from the wonder and awe of seeing Ewan McGregor do anything, because I'm just a huge fan of mm-hmm. his. Um, I, 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 my connection to the like, it's it's not the thing that I wake up and need to watch, um, in the same way that Star Trek is or the Ms. Marvel show is. But um, Carolyn, you were you're 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 seeing all of this as blasphemy. So. <laughs> Go, yeah. <laughs> no, look, I know. I mean, I think I maybe occasionally come on the show and say very critical things about a lot of things, right? But (laughs) (laughs) occasionally. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, the first movie, or as Aaron would say, listen, listen. (laughs) (laughs) The first movie I ever remember seeing was Star Wars. The first TV show I ever remember seeing was Star Trek. So both of these things, the Obi-Wan show and the Strange New World show, it's like they took everything I loved at the age of five from those things with everything I loved from when I was 25 with with everything I love now and put it into little packages and like bow and arrowed it into my heart. That's how I feel about these two shows. I mean, I... I'm just so like I'm texting my friends at like 7:30 in the morning. Have you watched Obi Wan yet? <laughs> no, on Wednesdays. <laughs> this this is my level of craziness about this show. I'm not usually a multiple watcher, and I'm watching each one like several times. I never do that. Um, so yeah, obviously, you and McGregor has a lot to do with it. You know, Obi Wan. Not only has Obi Wan been one of my favorite characters from the very beginning, but I felt challenged by those prequel movies and Ewan McGregor to me was pretty much the best thing about them. So I could have watched him sit in his cave on Tatooine and, you know, meditate completely silently for six episodes. And that would have been fine. Um, So, no, what I really thought was that he was going to be in the cave and he'd occasionally help townspeople and watch over Luke. There's a there's a novel called Kenobi, and that's pretty much what it is uh, by John Jackson Miller. It's good if you want to read it. Um, But this has really exceeded my expectations. And I think it's fun. I mean, exceeded, I mean, in a Star Wars, on a Star Wars scale, exceeded my expectations, you know, like what you guys are saying. Um, But I am appreciating how each episode in number rhymes with the first six movies. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. What? Uh... Yeah. Give me an example of this. <laughs> All right, let me pull it up. <laughs> let me pull what up? No way. What do you mean rhymes? Well, let's take, I, I, you know, if people haven't seen the last one, I won't say, but let's say number four, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so 
the so-called episode for A New Hope, which I still call Star Wars, has to do with rescuing the princess from an impenetrable base, right? Get out of here! Mm-hmm. Episode what? five has an assault on, yes, a rebel base and an ice planet, right? But they're trying to hold the Empire off from that base. Now I'm pulling it up. Mm. You're pulling what up? I'm just saying. Is this a I thing? I guess it makes sense. Are there articles about this? Sense. You should write episode, it. Episode three. Doesn't episode three have a lightsaber battle between. Episode three does have a lightsaber battle between Vader <laughs> and. So I'm saying. I, I, I see things. <laughs> but, you know, but Joey, you're right. I mean, I'm seeing these things because, okay, you know, I like I said, loved Star Wars as far back as I can remember, but also for um, my Superwomen book, I literally read every comic, every novel. I mean, so my level of knowing the details and seeing these little things in there is is way beyond mortal men. And I, I do understand that. But that means I am losing my fucking mind over this show. I am like so excited about this show. I can't contain myself. I'm driving people nuts talking about this show. So thank you for well, the opportunity I mean. to talk about it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, and 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 we're getting to the point too with all of this content, really, where it's like you're gonna find that thing that is gonna bring you so much joy. And you know what? Power to you! Like, I'm so happy for for those folks. Um, I was talking to my students about Ms. Marvel, and they were like, "Yeah, like we don't really know what it is, mm-hmm. or like, like what it is." And I was like, "I love it." So I don't care what your little 16-year-old like you know, two for school face is about to utter. Um, so I'm I and then we went on summer break, so I actually don't know what they think about it. But um I, I just there's there's something for us there. Now, here's a segue for you too. Wonder Man is for <laughs> who? I don't know. Uh, so Wonder Man uh, series, Marvel is developing a Wonder Man series with Justin Daniel Crenton of uh, Shang-Chi fame and Andrew Guest, who is was a writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community. Uh, they are developing a show for Disney Plus based on or, or starring Wonder Man. Uh, the actor, heroes, former villain, brainwaves of vision, you know, a very long, complicated history. Um, but ultimately, for me, a character who I have never really been remotely interested yeah. in. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Dustin Daniel Cretton on it because obviously I, I love his work a lot. Um, but Bob, I know that you you saw you saw a pathway for this. Yes, one I did. Because, and here's the thing: first of all, you mentioned the Brooklyn Nine Nine community thing as we were speaking off air. Could you go to a Hollywood satire, washed up actor as Simon Williams eventually became, and was going to be in the Guardians movie where it was Nathan Fillion playing Archon or whatever he was going to play? But because of all those connections, if we go to where the vision was originally created and those brainwaves and the rest of it, is there a way that this becomes, we get to Wanda asking Simon for his emotions for the spectral vision. 
is this our entry to bringing Wanda back in a different way, in a lighter sort of show, perhaps, that still could have some dramatic connotations? I think there could be a lot of fun things to this beyond the surface. Just saying. You know, if Wanda spends so much time watching those sitcoms, maybe she spent some time watching those old Simon Williams Simon movies. Williams could be. You don't need to let that girl die. No, she's not that. No, look, she survived the I saw Illuminati. There was an interview. Dropping a building on her. There was her. an interview yeah. with the. There was an interview with the writers, and they were like, "Yeah, man, like she totally survived." And I was like, "Whoo, good luck, good luck with that redemption arc." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody cares. Um, anybody else on Wonder Man? I, it's got possibilities. If you do like a comedy or or something on those lines, mm-hmm. don't don't take this seriously. I mean, that's just. Wonder Man is not a serious. It can't be a serious show. Just do something fun. Brooklyn Nine Nine's a great show. Bring on Andy Sandberg. Make him Simon Williams. Let's go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I you know here's what I'll say. Look, Justin Daniel and Andrew Guest, great team. We'll see what comes out of it. It's Wonder Man, and it's Armor Wars. Hmm. That has me thinking, you know, we don't we don't need everything. Like, you know, we don't need donuts for dinner. Like we don't we don't need <laughs> everything to be made, you know. Uh, while I love Don Cheadle and I, I love his war machine, like, do I really need an Armor Wars television show? I don't know. And and when they announced Wonder Man, I was like, that's an awesome team, and maybe they will get Nathan Fillion or Andy Samberg or someone to do it. And it'll be a ton of fun, but do I need it? I don't know. So who who knows? We'll see. I feel like that's until a, I that, see a trailer, I won't believe it. I feel like that entire thing is an uphill climb. That entire <laughs> <laughs> concept, and it's going to be literally this: convincing people that it's going to be good. That's literally going to be. It's not even like they're starting at one; they're starting at like negative ten. They have to work their way up to one for people that care. Yeah. Yeah, well, and the difference, like, the difference was something like She-Hulk, which, like, for those of us that inside baseball and know how rich and wonderful that character is, I, you know, the people that are like, oh, is She-Hulk going to be good? Like, we know the character, and I think we have expectations for that, you know? Wonder Man has a very complicated history, sure, and the connections to Vision could potentially be very interesting, and the, the Hollywood angle could be very interesting. But to your point, Aaron, it's like, Man, you, you, you went, you went to the archives for that one because wonder Simon Williams, even in the comics for the last 10, 15 years, has kind of been a punchline. No, Bendis I mean, used you know, him very well, and in, in Bendis used, used to be Mighty Avengers yeah. in his in his smoking jacket, mm-hmm. you know. And that dude walked on in a smoking jacket. What like, did he? The, serious though he was used, he was still walking around in a leotard wearing a red smoking jacket. And, <laughs> and, his he, and he's got the, the, the jetpacks on his hips. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wasn't he used to repower Rogue at one point? Mm, in uh, the Uncanny book? One, oh, that was yeah. the, the Uncanny Avengers. Uncanny Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was dead for a long time, and then the Scarlet Witch pushed him back. There you go. See? Yeah. Oh, my God. Here's the premise. (laughs) Dustin, are you listening? (laughs) Dustin, are you listening to the show? The premise is this. Wanda, flashing away from Wondagore Mountain, 
sets her eyes as she can't get her children from the alternate universe. She's going to get vision back and she finds ghost vision and she's like, okay, how can I bring ghost vision back? Who's the, like, he's missing his emotions. Who's the most emotional person I could think of besides myself? This guy I saw on TV Um, for years. This guy I saw on TV years ago and she wishes (laughs) Simon Williams back back from obscurity in, back to life, and that's and that's how we get the Wonder Man TV. And Negabands. She should have Negabands. <laughs> I don't know. We'll no. see. Um, anyway, Wonder Man, we'll wait for a trailer. It'll be great. Um, all right. Another news story. We'll do this one quick. Uh, here's the headline from The Verge. Uh, <laughs> this was reported by io9 as well. Let me see what io9's... Um, Headline was Gizmodo. Here we go. Amazon promises another attempt to make comicsology suck less. Uh, the Verge's headline was after making it worse, Amazon has plans to fix comicsology. Yeah, months after literally, I think every person that has used this app has tweeted at, complained. It's been all over every single platform. Amazon and comicsology rather tweeted like a nine or 10 tweet thread being like, Hey, we, I'll I'll just read the first one. We're bad. (laughs) We've been combing through your feedback and continue to be grateful for all the comics lovers out there. We understand that the current experience needs improvements and want you to know that we're working hard to get those out the door as quickly as possible. Um, And then they go through a few of their updates. It's going to be stuff around um, guided view, vertical scroll, double page spreads, things like that. If you're in the UK, I think you'll be able to buy in app, but not here. The, the things that, and, and, and they say on the website, there will be some like updated, like new release tabs, which has been another thing. It's, um, sorry, there's a fire truck rolling through. Um, it, 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 it's the most like, wow, it's almost like this app wasn't good before and we ruined it. And I guess we could walk back a couple of things. I don't know. I, 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 there's no, this is like a news non-story for me other than the fact that Amazon was just like, huh, I guess we can make some changes. Kind of um, passive aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we've been combing through your feedback. Um, the, the thousands of hate tweets that some like, Amazon intern like, got that job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. The, I don't know if there's any commentary here, but you know, you could read the articles. The tweets are there. Um, we'll see if anything does change for the better. But ultimately, as we said, we're never going to get what we had back. But I guess maybe we'll get some tweaks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any thoughts around the table on this Just or no? Big they still suck. It. Yeah. <laughs> they suck. They suck then. They suck now. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Right quick. Let's hit this listener question. Um, uh, we've been sitting on this one. This was like the, the, the PS on Dallas's email, which had a ton of great questions on it. Uh, Dallas, I know that they all answered your question about Wonder Woman uh, Earth 1. Last week on the episode, if you want to go back to the original episode where we talked about Wonder Woman Earth One, which I believe Carolyn was on. I was. Yes. That was episode number 229 wow. from April 13th, 2016. Look at that. A different world that was. In the before times. A different world. The before, before times. times. Uh, the fact that we've done 
300 episodes since then blows my mind. But uh, the question for today is choose a team of seven X-Men, but you can only choose one character that was introduced in each decade the X-Men have been around. So that's one character from the 60s, one character from the 70s, one character from the 80s, 90s, aughts, the teens. And he gives us the out here. You can pick a character from the 2020s that has been introduced or another character from any other decade. So it's a team of seven. Um, the one character that has been introduced in the 2020s, uh, I forget. I forget who he is. I forget him. I forget him. He was just introduced in Legion of X. I forget his name, though. I okay, it. we get it. Bob Johnson. Get it. Bob yeah, Jones, get it. yeah. Um, I'm like, how many times are you going to say this? <laughs> All right, let me go first. I'm going to go first because I'm the expert here, okay? Um, we can all guess who my character from the original 60s is. So, and if, it, so if y'all did right. pick... So if, it, if y'all didn't pick Cyclops, <laughs> you're wrong, okay? Because Scott, so- there is no X-Men without Scott Summers, yeah, there is. okay? Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, Carolyn, wow. you are our guest. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Now, I, I, Carolyn, knew, all- I knew you would pick Scott, and I'm totally cool with it. Honestly, Carolyn, I will allow any of your choices, but if John picks Cable, I'm the show is mm-hmm. over. Um, okay, anyway. 60s, I went with Scott Summers. 70s, I went with Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of options here, and I'm sure around the table there will be some really good ones, but I went with Nightcrawler. 80s, I had to go with Kitty Pride. You can't, it's, if, if Scott Summers is the X-Men, Kitty Pride is also the X-Men. That's, you have to have both. 90s, I went with Adam X the Extreme. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's no way I put Adam X the Extreme on this list. My 90s character is Monet. St. Croix. Um, yeah, I went with her. I think, you know, the team, once you see the full makeup, I think you'll see some interesting possibilities. The OOs for me, I had to think here. There are a lot of very interesting characters, a lot of new X-Men introduced, a lot of uh, young X-Men introduced. I went with Armor, though, because she's one of my favorite new characters. I love her, and I think she brings a lot to – she brought a lot to Astonishing. And anytime she's been used since, I just think she really enriches the book. Uh, my My – Tens character, I went with uh, Oya, Aidy Okonkwo, who was in Wolverine and the X-Men, Generation X. Really wonderful character. Underutilized. I think she's been in some of the Krakoa books a little bit here and there, and I'd love to see more of her. And my 20s or wildcard character, my gut was to go with Emma because I love her. I love her with Scott. I ship it. And I think she's just been a wonderful addition to the X universe, X teams, but I'm going to go with Magneto. Oh. Magneto's going to be my wild card. So my team again is Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, Kate Pride, uh, Monet, Armor, Oya, and Magneto. That's my squad. Light it up. It's going to be good great. Team. I also like it. It's a good That's team, and I like it too. It's a strong team because. I think the book would have a lot of conversation around faith and religion. And I think that would be a very interesting thing for the books to explore. Anyway, Uh, isn't Kitty the seventies though? No, Kitty was introduced in 81. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 129 publication 
publication date is different than cover date, which is January 80. So it means she was late 79. Uh, oh, did she appear like in a All right, panel? January 80. But that's, that's, 80. that's when that's not what's on the book. Bob, we're going 80. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> They're dated two months ahead, just saying. The date on the All right, Bob, you're next. <laughs> Bob, what do well, you got? I've only really, why is it I've only really read three decades, so I'm I'm a complete wild card, so deal with it. You say there are no rules tonight, right, Joey? You're in charge? No rules. Okay. Except there's only one rule, and that is cable is a no You don't no have to guy. worry about that. So I'm just going to give you the whole team as however we work it out. I've got Gene, of course, and Scott. Polaris, Storm, Kitty, and Kurt, and Rachel Summers. Those are my decades of X Men. I don't do these aughts and yeah. teens and whatever. I am. So you went. You went sixties, seventies, eighties. I'll allow. Okay. Yeah, you're missing out. You're missing. Could out. be. I le- I on, left uh, when Claremont left. Trinity so. and Tempo. Yeah, uh, there you go. And Gold Balls or whatever <laughs> his name random. is or whatever. Hey, Gold Balls, he has a new name oh, really? now. I don't remember what it is. I'll have to look it up, but he has a new name now. It's not Gold Balls oh. anymore. It's something much more, much more, much more dignified, okay. I believe. Platinum Balls. <laughs> He's moved up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gold ball. Oh, he goes by Egg now yes. since his Gold Balls are the yep. ones that produce oh. the, the reincarnations. Egg. He's yeah. one of the five. Which is, egg. yeah. So, Huevos, yeah. Gold Huevos, Huevos Oros. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Fabio Medina. You know, it could be he could be huevos. You know. Uh, anyway, that's a good squad. It's a good squad. Um, uh, John, who do you got, and why is this Scott Summers? Uh, well, if you're an expert, I have a PhD in X Men. So Ooh, let's Jesus go. Christ. If Cable or Deadpool are on this team, I'm I'm cutting your Deadpool's feet. Deadpool's never been an X Men. He was an uncanny X Force. The the prompt was a mutant who was introduced in each decade. An X Men oh. who's been in each. Was... All right, go ahead. Okay. I agree with you completely. Number one, sixties Cyclops. You need mm-hmm. a, a true leader, <gasps> but I need but I need some tension on my team. So my second choice from the seventies is Storm who is also a very capable leader of the X-Men. So I like that dynamic of which one should be in charge. Number three from the eighties rogue. I think rogue is one of the most dynamic and evolved characters in the X universe and nineties. I know it. You love it. You no, want it. No, you, you no, need it. No. You need it. You, no, you gotta have it. Gambit, of course, because if you're going to have Rogue, you got to have Lemmy or Remy LeBeau with you. Um, uh, For the Ots, I went with Hope Summers. Uh, Yes. I think that that. Put respect on her name. I love Hope Summers. Yes. Uh, Number six from the the 2010s. You got to have a Wolverine. So let's go X-23. Yeah. And then my wild card. I gotta have Nightcrawler. I think Nightcrawler mm-hmm. is one of the the pinnacle of X Men, and uh, uh, so that's my team. Technically, X twenty three a little bit earlier, but I'll allow it. I almost went with Scout for that reason too, okay. because I think she's wonderful. Yeah, man, that that Scott Summers Storm 
leadership tension. It's never been done before. No, that book. So it'd be really good. No, it was the 2000. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm like, how original, John? Well, hey, the X-Men for 20 years after Claremont left was everybody trying yeah. to write Claremont. So I know. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to it might be blasphemy here. I'm going to just say it. Not a big Rogue fan. Okay. <gasps> Not a big Rogue fan. Gambit was my OG, like I love Gambit, but remember you know, that, maybe it's remember that Kelly Thompson Mr. and Mrs. X? The, yeah, that book was amazing. Yeah, that I, that's the type of dynamic I want. You know what? It might be because like my like like when I started reading, the rogue was like the Anna Paquin rogue from the oh. movies. Yeah. Which is like she's fine, she's good in those, but like that's not the same kind of like punk like pugnacious rogue mm-hmm. from the comics, you know? So like I've had to kind of like acclimate myself. Mike Carey did a great rogue one. Rogue run. <laughs> oh yeah. Too. It was the X-Men Legacy book, right? Yeah. Um, that was great. That was fantastic. Yeah, but you're right. Gambit Rogue. If you can get Gambit Rogue and Storm Cyclops, you are automatically have these relationships. Hope Summers I will allow because the cable is tangential, <laughs> <laughs> but not present, right? Like her issue of Immortal X-Men when she was like referencing cable, mm-hmm. I was like, this is cool, but I'm glad I didn't see his stupid face <laughs> in that book. <laughs> I could have gone old cable and young. Yes, I hate you. Uh, Carolyn, do you have a team? Okay. Um, and also, uh, since we're doing unpopular opinions, neither Rogue nor Gambit are up in my favorites of people. I know that's that's terrible, but all right, here I go. The 60s, Gene. Because I, I feel like you have to have someone do, do the mind stuff. Um, the 70s, Storm. Because uh, she's the coolest, and oh, mm-hmm. you got to have the good leader. And uh, let's just say in the leadership battle, you know, she did beat out Scott, even though she had no powers. Just saying. Yes, mm-hmm. very true. And her and Jean's friendship, I think, is really important. So I like the two of them together. Um, for the '80s, Kitty, because she's my all-time favorite ex-person um and she can do computer stuff and stealthy stuff, and she correctly thinks Professor Xavier is a jerk. Yes. <laughs> because yes. Okay, the '90s Bishop, because I feel like I gotta have someone with a big gun, and I ain't picking Cable. <laughs> the OO's Karma. Oh. I know she wasn't introduced then, but she kind of became an X person then, right? I mean, originally she was a new yeah. mutant. Sure. Okay, but I like the thing she does does mind stuff too, but she's got the thing about seeing through other people's eyes, which I like good compassion thing mm. and also good with swords that seems important mm. and my 10 my 2010s and my wild card are together because together i am picking x23 and gabby oh nice because that's a good one you get, yeah. you get the good hand-to-hand combat and also you have kind of a young one that can be mentored by all these other cool people yeah that's great that's great does so you had gene bob had gene mm-hmm. John and I had Scott. Well, I had right, Scott. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, but you started with Jim. Yes. And we, and we have more than one person picking Storm. Uh, yes, Storm, Storm is, yes. And more than one Storm And more than one person picking Kitty. Yep. Honestly, and I almost went with Storm. And more than but one X-23. Nightcrawler. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I went with Nightcrawler because I went down this faith angle. Mm-hmm. 
So I was like Nightcrawler, Kitty, Monet, um, Oya, and Magneto. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think that this like religious kind of angle to this book would be very fascinating. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is the book I'm writing. Anyway, uh, uh, Aaron, what do you got? <laughs> Listen, I'm just gonna go through them. <laughs> I'm not gonna give explanations until the end. You need to justify your choices. Nope. Nope. Maybe maybe it, they're self-justifying. The justification, the justification will come at the okay, end. Mimic. <laughs> no, first one, Angel. Okay. Second, <laughs> start strong here. Second, changeling. <laughs> Third, sway. Fourth, dazzler. I feel like there's a pattern here, but wait, go on. Wait. Then maggot. <laughs> then husk. <laughs> and lastly, legion. Uh, do you want to know why? Yeah, no, I need to hear this. I need to know why. Yeah. Because I really just want a Legion book and I want all those other characters to die in the first issue. Uh, <laughs> uh, and there you have so it. So you would you're you're basically just doing ecstatics. Basically. But like with all the characters that you're just like, I hate <laughs> I want them all gone. Think about <laughs> give me my Legion book back. That's all I'm saying. Oh my gosh. The real question that we have to ask is do all of our teams have a telepath audit? Mine does not. Mine does. Legion can do everything. Hope Hope can mimic it, though. Mm-hmm. Mm. So then, John, your team isn't a real X-Men <gasps> team if it doesn't have a telepath on it. But that's that's not true. <laughs> been- Didn't you see it on Twitter? You know? The, no, like, I, you I know. have better things to do with my life than hang out on Twitter. <laughs> it was like, uh, I think it was on, um, I think it was on like Black Nerd Problems or something. And it was like when the X-Men roll up to a fight and see the Avengers using walkie-talkies. Yes, I posted that. <laughs> I posted that, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what kind of what? <laughs> Teamwork is this. <laughs> no telepath. Oh, yeah, God. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, this is great. So, a lot of Scots, a lot of jeans, one angel for the purposes of immediate cross-off. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of Nightcrawler. Storm, obviously. I think Storm is everyone's. Yeah. she's. I'm glad she has that book, X-Men Red. You have Legion and Bald Catherine Hepburn. That's what you need. I'm glad no one put Professor X on that. Because why? He's a jerk. Because Professor X is a jerk. jerk. <laughs> All right, Dallas. I hope that was fun. And I think we went through all of his questions over the last six weeks. I'm shocked so. no one said the cuckoos. I thought about it. I thought about it, but I like armor more. Yeah, armor was a great addition. I love the armor character. She's another one that like a lot of those characters from the 2000s because th- that was when they new, did so new, many new X-Men. Yeah. yeah. And the X-Men Academy thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going between armor and karma for the all of yeah. Elixir dupe. and Nobody had Mercury dupe. and Bling and Dupe <laughs> and you know well, there's a uh, whole young actor like Hellion and yes, all that. I love yeah. Hellion. Yeah. Prodigy. Prodigy mm-hmm. shows up in Young Avengers a lot. You know, like there are so many wonderful characters. Like the the two thousands were a, a great great time. Karma, great arc in Messiah Complex. That's when she mm-hmm. lost her leg. Yeah, yes. really transformed mm-hmm. that character too. So anyway. What books are we getting this week? <gasps> we'll do the we'll do the 
final discussion yeah. in a second. Well, let's just do books that 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 we're getting this week. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, duo number two, Milestones in History number one, Nightwing ninety three, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen's boss, Perry White number one. I think it's a one shot. Big DC week for me. Um, Silver Coin eleven. Immortal X-Men number three, uh, Marvel Voices Pride is coming out this week. Um, new Fantastic Four, Peter David, what? Mm-hmm. Is that, is yes, that real? Yeah, I, I saw it, yeah. Right. yeah. I saw I'll it. check that out. New Mutants 26, X-Men 12, Something is Killing the Children 24. That's my list. Um, Bob, what are you picking up? Depending out? on how much Black Adam is in this Black Adam JSA book, I might pick it up. But not being a Black yeah. Adam fan, I don't know. But, it's Christopher Priest. Yeah, but it's Black Adam. I know. Uh, World's Finest, number four. No problem with that. Catwoman, 44. Miles Morales and Moon Girl. Elvira in Horrorland, number two. And not a comic book. I am very excited that cr- the Criterion Collection is releasing a Blu-ray of Gordon Parks's Richard Roundtree's Shaft. Nice. Ooh. Cool. Uh, Aaron, books. Okay, again, this is a pool. <laughs> so we'll just go from there. So potentially Nightwing 93, X-Men 11, World's Finest, Miles Morales Spider-Man, New Mutants, Immortal X-Men 3, Knights of X, uh, Dark Crisis Young Justice. Uh, I saw that new FF. We'll see what that's about. Marvel Voices Pride. Uh, I saw the Miles Morales and Moon Girl number one, Milestones in History and Duo 2. Sweet. As you shake those uh, John, through the yeah. sifter, how many do you think will come out the bottom? Maybe four. Okay. That's good. That's a good percentage. <laughs> you know, you got to see what, what how I'm feeling the time I'm when I'm enraged as I'm opening up Comixology and how far I'm willing to go. <laughs> well, they're going to be rolling out those yes. improvements, so we'll see. Uh, John? That new FF is a callback to a two-part Fantastic Four with Arthur Adams yes. on art where they were replaced by the Hulk, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine. So I think that's what they're, Absolutely they're kind right. of doing, the nostalgic thing there. Um, I'm getting World's Finest number four, uh, Batman the Night number six. I will test the waters of Black Adam number one, Catwoman number 44, Dark Crisis, Young Justice number one, Nightwing number 93, Deadly Class 53, Newburn number eight, Radiant Red four, Rogue Sun five, Amazing Spider-Man number four, Immortal X-Men number three, Knights of X number three, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 39, and X-Men 12. And I have to go tell my kids we're not going on vacation because daddy brought too many comics. (laughs) (laughs) How many more on Deadly Class? Uh, Until 56. Okay, cool. Um, Carolyn, you picking anything up? Well, I... I mean, I'm way behind on everything, but I do love Nightwing and I want to... Uh, read the DC Pride. I mean, I, I was just reading an article about the Kevin Conroy piece, and I mm-hmm. did oh, not. I mean, I haven't actually read it, but I read about it. I I didn't know that was in there, and it just I was so surprised. Um, it just sounds yeah, really, really good. good. Um, and also just as a a parting thing, I I do want to say those of you out there who think I maybe am insane about the Obi Wan thing, I also could you know, take the next two hours to tell you everything that's wrong and stupid about these episodes. So <laughs> I haven't Wait, when when Darth Vader pulled down that one plane and then the other well whatever, I was like, who was flying the first one? <laughs> but anyway <laughs> some poor droid. Uh, 
subway, well, all right? Okay. Yeah, I've got a million of those things. So, so <laughs> don't worry, everyone. I haven't totally lost my mind. <laughs> um, okay, so we do have some final words here. Uh, so, John, if you wanted to, to take us out. Yeah, uh, sadly, uh, we unexpectedly lost another iconic artist with the death of Tim Sale due to kidney failure uh, last week. I first noticed Sale's work on Matt Wagner's Grendel from Comico Comics in the late 80s, but I think Sale became famous among comic book aficionados with his teaming with Jeff Loeb, uh, first on Challengers of the Unknown, and then later at Marvel with a Wolverine and Gambit four-part miniseries that is still uh, an excellent read today. But... They're really known for those. It started with a yearly tradition, uh, Legend of the Dark Knight, Halloween specials uh, that then became the Long Halloween maxi series with two sequels, Dark Victory and Catwoman, Win in Rome. I love that one. Uh, Yeah, the duo went on to Superman uh, for all seasons, which is just an incredible book. And then they went over to Marvel and they did the color series. They did like Hulk green, Captain America, blue, Spider-Man, red, Daredevil, yellow, uh, lobe and sale just became, they became a special team that you knew when they were doing a book that it was going to be, uh, not only a great read, beautiful art, but it's going to be a monumental read. And it meant something, and sales influence on the Batman uh, will continue on much past his uh, untimely passing and will be felt for years to come. Beautiful. Nice. Any remembrances for Tim sale? Uh, Catwoman, I absolutely adore having a, a nice little hardcover, but that, that Spider-Man book, it, it'll mm-hmm. break your heart. It, there's mm. that last page as, as Mary Jane speaks to Peter, who's listening to a recording of Gwen. Tell, tell Gwen, I say, I say hi. Mm. Oh, oh, awesome stuff. Well missed. I, I saw him at a con just a, maybe it was four years ago. He was not looking well. Uh, they're helping him sign books and whatever. And it's like, Oh, I, I just hope this passes, but yeah. So sad. You know, he's he was one of those artists like like a Darwin Cook, you know, or, or who you open up a comic nine times out of ten, you're going to know what it looks yeah. like. But then you have these artists that come through and their style is just their style. And I, Tim Sales was one of the first ones. And it was because I picked up those Batman books where I was like, oh, comics can look like this, you know, and not like those house styles mm-hmm. of Marvel and DC that were so popular in the 90s, you know. Um, so, yeah, in, losing these kind of innovators is part of the hardest thing, you know, uh, losing losing somebody like Tim Sale. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else? No, I think no. you I think you guys covered it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Right. Okay, so with that... We have reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you can send us comments or questions through our email podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming around this week. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Obi-Wan ends this week, I believe. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll do some special edition or something yeah. to bring you on to talk about it. Who knows? Um, uh, 
Carolyn, where can our listeners find you? Uh, my email, cocac at oldwestbury.edu. Great. Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer, talkingcomicbooks.com. John. At John P. Burkle. Aaron. It's been so long, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> at Aaron J. Amos. I am at Jerry Regino. Steve will be back next week. He is at dead underscore anchorus. Um, so for Happy Bob. Birthday, Joey. Thank you. For Aaron. Happy Festivus. Oh, no. Wrong show. No. <laughs> Happy birthday. For John. Happy Batman 89. Hey, <laughs> for Carolyn. I was going to say the birthday thing, too. No. So I'll just say, uh, may the force be with you. Nice. Uh, I think Doctor Strange comes out on Disney Plus this week. Uh, Umbrella enjoy Academy your lives, back. right? Umbrella Academy's coming back. Okay. We got a big, big few weeks ahead. So enjoy everything that's out there. Enjoy uh, every day with that you wake up. Be excellent to each other. And uh, until what, is, what do we say at the end? Until next time on the Talking Comics podcast. To be continued. I couldn't remember the. I couldn't remember the sign off. <laughs> Importantly, Carolyn, Joey. the Tony Awards. <laughs> the Tony Awards. I was very pleased with this year's Tony Awards. Me too. Me too. What were you pleased with in particular? Strange Loop is wonderful. If you're in the city and you want to see a wonderful show, go see Strange Loop. Or you want to go see a, just a, a killer night of singing and history revisionism go see six if you can get tickets to six six is probably the best thing on broadway right it's about now. the it's wives so of henry the eighth right it's about okay. the wives of henry the eighth if you want you can listen to the whole show on spotify they released the broadway opening night recording wow it is stunning stunning the tonys were great it was wonderful seeing it again uh I thought that the winners, I was, I think I was like 94% on my predictions this year. I won, I won at our viewing party. I won the awards. Company is also wonderful. I'm just saying listeners in the area, if you come to the city, there's a lot of great stuff on the, on Broadway right now. Yeah. I'm not at all unhappy at what company won. Um, I saw it because, you know, someone wanted to go see it. So I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with it. But I and so I was expecting to be sort of underwhelmed or whelmed, but I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cast is amazing, and I mean, even just the set, the set design should not be all that interesting, but it was with company. So yeah. it's you know just really it holds up. It does hold up, and the way it was switched around works too. Um, mm-hmm. And having a same-sex couple. Um, and I'm really glad the guy won for getting married today. You know, you can't, oh, you gotta love that. Um, yeah. and I also agree with you about six. Um, although I will make one complaint, which is that I'm not happy about what they award beforehand that you don't really see. 
and six was one right. of those things. So Anna, who's now 15, um, is very, very attached to six because, and I, I swear this is true, when before we found out that six existed, which was maybe four years ago, so she was like 10, 11, she was writing a serious Hamilton-like version of six where she had, oh. where she had a, a historically accurate song and different personalities for each of the wives, I swear to God. I mean, oh she, performed, she performed it in my living room. And she was telling us why there were certain phrases for each song in it, like this, you know, telling us the why they were historically accurate and what her sources were and stuff like that. So when we first found out about it, sick, she was so upset. Um, yeah. And now she loves it. She loves it. And if anything, that's just validation of her own creativity, that her ideas are Broadway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, no, she has said we've seen, you know, she's seen She's seen a lot of shows for her age and that is her favorite, which even, I was even surprised to hear. But so, yeah, I'm I'm I was glad to see um them getting able to them able to perform. I'm glad they won some stuff. Um, Paradise Square, not something I had a desire to see, but I think mm. the performance. <laughs> so here's what I'll tell you about Paradise Square, and I know we'll talk about comics. I swear, we will, we will. Um, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I saw Paradise Square because we wanted to see all the new musicals. Uh, we didn't see the Billy Crystal one. Mm-hmm. Billy Crystal. We decided that show just it wasn't. It wasn't made for us, um, but Paradise Square is good. I think that they have a ton of writers on it because they really wanted to speak to all of the different communities that are represented in mm-hmm. that show. But in doing so, it feels like a bunch of shows mashed together. Mm. Um, and there's some really, really high points in that show. And then there are some like really slow sections of it too. But um, Joaquina, who won the Tony for Best Fe- best Actress in a Musical. Unbelievable. That is one of the only times on Broadway that I've ever seen a standing ovation in the middle of a show. <laughs> wow. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Because she, she is stunning and wh- and that is a well-deserved award. And that's why you watch um, the Tonys. That's why it's and that's why you watch the Tonys. award show because you'll see something that maybe you hadn't thought of before and three minutes later you say, I've got to see this. This person mm-hmm. is so amazing. She blew the roof off the place. Mm-hmm. And Ariana DeBose, working hard, Ariana DeBose super wonderful. charming, wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just just a, a blast. And also, I didn't know Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham are married. But, you know. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Top Gun. <laughs> no, they, they, didn't they meet on Miracle Mile? Yeah, they've been friends for yeah. like 30-something years, mm-hmm. and they apparently got married last year. Very cute. Oh, Very last cute. year? Wow. Yeah, yeah, they eloped All last right. year. I looked it up because I was like, wait, what? Who? What? Yeah. All my 80s movies getting mashed up together, you know? Mashed up. Wow. <laughs> That's what's happening. No, so Hugh, Hugh Jackman shut out, right? Completely. Yes. Music Man, Liz Clinton uh, Foster, and Hugh Jackman, just nothing. You know what? That that show is a commercial pop, and that's okay. all it is. It okay. is. There's be- there's better stuff on Broadway. Gotcha. Totally true, but it's also true that you when you know he's great and she's great, and it's great yes. to be in the room with them. They're dancing and singing their hearts out. Um, yes. The rest of it, I don't know, but the crowd that I saw it with was like crazy. I mean, they had to keep pausing because there were so many applause oh, going on. Yeah. And on. Company company was like that when I saw oh, it good. too. And uh, Strange Loop, if you get a chance to see it, that that show is 
ex- extraordinary. Yeah. It's about for those that don't know, Strange Loop won Best Looks Musical awesome. this year. Brand new show by Michael R. Jackson, um, and it's about a a big black queer musical writer writing a show about a big black queer musical writer writing a show about a big black queer musical writer. Wow. And all the other characters in the show are his thoughts. And it's this very meta show about, yeah. you know, the challenges that he faces with all of his kind of converging identities. It's wonderful. The music is catchy as hell. The other Michael Jackson is on Broadway too. MJ is on Broadway. Took home a few uh, Tonys, including, and I want to do a shout out here to the sound team. Uh, my friend Scott works on the sound team. Whoa. Tony was holding it with wow. the party. Very, very proud of him. I texted him. I was like, Scott, you want a Tony? And he was like, it's exciting. And I was like, damn it, Scott. <laughs> a, little, a little bit more. Oh, yeah. A little bit more. Um, but yeah, so really wonderful year for theater. If you're in the area and you need some recs, reach out. I got I got it all for you. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about comics now. I swear. 